live as it happens at the Trapdoor Chicken Coop in Samiesville, Pennsylvania. It's the We Talk Games Video Power Magazine. We Talk Games. Today's show will feature over nine co-hosts and correspondents, plus a special mystery guest generated on live show algorithms. I'm Stinky the Game Master, along with the We Talk Game Submarine Orchestra. Now, here's Wiggly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Talk Games. Each month, Keith Lopach, our sound director, the guy in the booth, Yo. brings in the We Talk Game studio audience. They're all given $12 and a box of Rosenstein's Enriched Elbow Macaroni. They come in. They give me the treatment of the fanfare as I walk through the curtain, and then Keith escorts them out as soon as I begin talking. Money well spent, in my opinion. Of course, the big, big news before I get to the in-studio introductions, We Talk Games has acquired one of the predominant video game magazines, an institution in the United States of America, since they first started reporting on the Bally Astrocade, the Odyssey One, all the classic gaming systems through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and 100s. We Talk Games and Video Power Magazine are now one cohesive unit. And this is just huge news. This is going to be a fantastic partnership moving forward. I am your host, Wiggly. Sitting to my left, the lovely, vivacious Titi Schmootkins. Hello, I am Titi Schmootkins. Always remember to look left, right, then left again. I'll remember that. Sitting down at the end of the trapdoor chicken coop internet bar and karaoke gazebo museum, Stinky the Game Master. Stinky? Hey, if you ever see a goose in the road, then uh, don't honk at it and then drive around. Because then the goose thinks that it won. What are you talking about? A goose. When you see it in the road, don't beep at it first and then drive around. Because then, it will get the false impression that it's the Alpha Goose. Well, what are you supposed to do then? Just run it over? Ha-ha! See? That is why every morning, I make myself a fried egg sandwich, and I put it in my car's glove compartment. And then, if I see a goose, I just pull over the side of the road, and just sit there, and eat my fried egg sandwich, and wait till the goose moves on. It's just that simple. Oh, boy. That's how I wrote my play. <laughs> That's right, that play. Titi, you were you were starring in that play. How long did that run? Oh, yes, that. It closed the first night. Oh, it closed on opening night, huh? No, not on opening night. It closed the first night of rehearsal. It's too bad. Hey, it's not entirely my fault that that happened. I I was under a lot of stress and pressure to get it done, and I had a bunch of subpar electricians, and, uh, oh, hold on a minute. Hello? Well, yes, my refrigerator is running. Why you? All right, yeah, listen, we got to get going. This show's stacked. Uh, as I mentioned... We Talk Games has acquired Video Power Magazine, and this has helped us not only grow as a monthly audio fanzine, but also our web presence has just quadrupled. 
Now, if you are hearing the sound of my voice, chances are you're already listening to the We Talk Games monthly audio magazine. And if you're a member of Facebook, Google, Twitter, Windows Live ID, which you use for your Xbox 360, Yahoo, or OpenID, then you're already a member of the WeTalkGames.com social media network. Just go to the fully redesigned WeTalkGames.com, and with just two clicks, you can become part of the We Talk Games community. It's just that easy. You don't even have to create an account or anything. It's already created with zero login. And as Stinky mentioned in the intro, the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, also known as Wetgack Flipleys, has once again contracted RIT Team, Rosenstein's Information Technologies and Rich Elbow Macaroni, to institute the WOG system, which is based on episodic transcription of our current program and cross-referenced to a real-time keyword database to generate the most relevant special guest for each episode. And we'll be trying that out later on today's show. But as Stinky also mentioned in the opening, I'll be calling up nine special co-hosts and correspondents. So we have to get started. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! Don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part. Because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot. All right. It has been a very, very exciting past month. For downloadable video game arcade at home. Starting with the Wii Virtual Console. Keith, hit that fanfare music because this is huge. Keith? I don't know where the heck you went. Wii owners, now is your chance to own the coveted PC Engine version of Castlevania Dracula X Rondo of Blood. So now you have two choices. Spend around $350 to get a used Turbo Duo and a used copy of Castlevania Dracula X. Or for $200, buy yourself a new Wii and $9 to download the Castlevania Dracula X Rondo of Blood on your Wii. This is without a doubt my second favorite game of all time. And in my opinion, one of the most compelling versions of the Castlevania series. It's loaded with secrets, multiple pathways, great graphics, fantastic soundtrack, really cool opening anime visuals, and rock-solid gameplay. So hopefully you've already picked that up. Now, for me, all I need is Spriggan, Sapphire, Download 1 and 2, another neat shooter called R-A-Y-X-A-N-B-A-R, Ray Sanbar, or also known as Raisin Bar. Ease 4, I don't know how they would do that because it's in Japanese. I don't know if they would ever release a role-playing style game, but Ease 4 was a great one. Eh, There's a couple other odds and ends. Mesopotamia would be neat, but honestly, this Castlevania release is huge. Buy it now. We also saw the release of Fatal Fury Special for the Neo Geo, and Super Nintendo got Final Fantasy 2 for only $8, and that is one of my favorite Final Fantasies as well. On the WiiWare side of the house, wow, if you are a fan of action platform games, you're really in for a treat on the WiiWare side of the Nintendo store. Of course, Mega Man came out for all three next-gen consoles. $10, that's only a dollar per Mega Man iteration, will get you the newest version of the Mega Man series. And we'll have Kyle Von Kubik up to talk about that in a short while. But if your only next-gen console is the Wii, I might ask you to put off picking up Mega Man only for this month and instead download Cave Story for $12. 
Cave Story is a news group coveted freeware game, the five-year work of a single developer, Daisuke Amaya. And it now comes to the Wii. The game's original designer worked with Nicholas to beef up the graphics for the Wii. And it is a really cool action platforming game with an original storyline. It has great replay value. And there's even an option to play the original version as well. So if you want to treat yourself to something really original that draws on a passion for video games from the past 20 years, pick up a copy of Cave Story. Another great action platforming game will compete for your Wii Bucks, Max and a Magic Marker. This is one of the most beautifully drawn games I've seen in a long time. And it features action platforming elements along with drawing elements. You have a magic magic marker. Magic magic marker. <laughs> you have a magic magic marker. That's really, that's really what you have. And you collect special ink droplets as your action platforming goes along that fill up this magic marker, which allows you to draw anything you want on a screen, and then you interact with that thing that you draw. Now, although there's no demo of this on the Wii, you could take a look at this game online on your Mac or PC at maxandthemagicmarker.com. And if you pick this up for your Wii, you just save $10 over the Mac and PC version. So check it out online. I think that you might enjoy it. Now, not in the action platforming genre. Rage of the Gladiator came out for $10. This is a game worth mentioning. It supports Wii Motion Plus. It's a first-person Colosseum mythical fighting game. There are 11 bosses, and the company explains it like a fantasy-based punch-out. To me, it's very reminiscent of a cross-swords in an arena environment. There's magic, there's sword play. Some of the myth local creatures are larger than the entire screen so it's really really neat and a great value for ten dollars over at the playstation store the ps3 actually had a bunch of new releases this month anarchy rush hour for eight dollars it's an arcade style racer eight player online two on the couch and if burnout was an arcade game and had the uniquely burnout elements removed from it it would be anarchy rush hour but for eight dollars you sure can't get something of this quality for eight bucks so check it out Blue Toad Murder Files has now released Episode 1 through 3. Now, you can get all three episodes for $15 or buy Episode 1 for $7.50, then 2 for $7.50, and then 3 for $7.50. But this is an episodic murder mystery that you can play pseudo-cooperatively with four other local players. And it's from the makers of Buzz, so this is really a neat little title for the whole family to get in on. Section 8 also came out. Now, this is a game that should have been released on the shelves, but they put it up in the PlayStation Store instead. $30, it's an Unreal Tournament-like, over-the-top, space marine, super-jumping armor, and Mad Max style of alien planet backdrop arenas. Very, very fast-paced squad battles. Wakeboarding HD also came out. That's $15. It's similar to yesteryear's jet ski and motor racing games, except you're being pulled behind a motorboat. And each race has very interactive stages. Hamster Ball also came out for $9.99. It's like a very fast, very long track version of Monkey Ball, but with a hamster in it. And it's more of a race than a balance or collecting goal. Some elements of Marble Madness as well, but with a follow camera. And so far, as far as consoles are concerned, those are only available on the PS3. Now, something that is available for both your PS3 and your Xbox 360, you can pick up Earth Defense Table for your Zen Pinball or Pinball Extreme, 
And this is a pretty cool 1950s invasion from space robot style wide body table, complete with a giant robot named Flipbot. That's very reminiscent of a master cylinder meets Alfie or 2XL. It's four flippers and very similar in quality and fun to the Ninja Gaiden Sigma table. And for only $2.49, you can't go wrong. You're going to definitely get $2.50 in fun out of this thing. Now, how do I know that the robot is named Flipbot? Well, this game's goals were kind of elusive to me, so if you just pause the game, you can check the rule sheet for each table. And that's very handy. Over in the Xbox Arcade, as I mentioned, Pinball FX, you could get Earth Defense, as well as another free table called Excalibur. And as you would imagine, Excalibur is a fantasy-based table with a sword hilt right in the middle of it. And it's a fun little wide body and free if you own Pinball FX. Perfect Dark also came out for $10. Now, I don't know. I thought this was already out, but evidently it wasn't. (laughs) And once again, for $10, that's only $1 for every year since its original release on the N64. This is a very playable HD upgraded version of Perfect Dark. The frame rate has been updated. Some of the texture maps have been updated. But all in all, it looks a little sparse and a little dated compared with today's first-person shooter-style games. But I'm sure it's a must-have for Perfect Dark fans. Scrap Metal also came out for $15. This is a super off-road style of racer with machine guns and demolition derbies. And you push in the direction that you want your car to go, so it takes a little bit of getting used to. But it's definitely gorgeous and a genre of racing games that the current next-gen systems are lacking. So it fills a nice void in there. Toy Soldiers also came out for $15, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on with Eric Alex. But the big news, as far as I'm concerned, in the Xbox Arcade is Game Room is finally here. Now's your chance to build your own game room and it only costs you several hundred dollars you can download game room for free and i believe there are three updates already which gives you access to a growing number of arcade and early console systems you have arcade rooms which feature arcade versions of atari and konami games so far such things as crystal castles red baron shaolin road lunar lander You also have a pick of Atari 2600 games, such as Adventure, Combat, Yars Revenge, and your pick of a collection of Intellivision games, including versions of Astro Smash and Football. Now, you can demo all of these arcade games, or you could buy the full games for $3, or what they're calling Anywhere Games for $5. Anywhere Games mean that you can play it on your Xbox 360, or if you have Windows Live Arcade, you can also play the title in there. So for $5 a piece, this can get very expensive if you're only trying to build one of these greatest hits collections that you can probably get for around $15 or $20. That includes about 30 games. There's also a neat little option to buy 50-cent mascot. Now, what a mascot is, it's usually the main character from whatever one of these older titles pulled out and given a pseudo thickness so that it's a little pixelated guy or ship or vector ship or something like this that will run around your arcades and it's pretty much just there for the giggle factor. Now, the way that this is presented is that you are your avatar and you start out with a two floor level, looks sort of like a mall. And on each level, you have several arcades placed around this circular interface. And each one of these arcades you can decorate with like a change machine or a giant pair of roller skates. And there are a lot of unlockables and you can brand each room with the Atari logo or the Intellivision logo or Konami or something of this nature. And then you can place the different arcade machines or even some of the console systems into each one of these arcades however you like. And your friends can also visit you in your arcades and they can play your games. There's 
there's tokens that are given out, and I'm not really 100% positive on how these tokens are handed out, and there are some confusing bits of the interface. But once you figure it out and are actually able to play one of the games that you've purchased, it's very fun. And the screen of the emulated game will come up on top of your arcade, sort of framed on the side. You can see your avatar playing the actual arcade cabinet or your friends walking around in the background. And it also features rewind capabilities on certain games, which many emulator enthusiasts are quite familiar with. So if you make a mistake, you can hit the left trigger and rewind to take a second chance at it. Each arcade room holds eight cabinets or decorations, news of your friend's achievements, high scores, and replays. And that's it. Let's get Kyle Von Kubik on a horn. Keith, open it up. Satellite of integrity! There's no German word for integrity. Kyle Von Kubik, get ready. Try. Hello. Hi. Wiggly. Yo, man. Let's talk some games. What are you, what are you, falling to bed? No, not at all. Oh, I thought you were taking a shower. No, I was, I am in the, I'm doing this live from the shower. Yeah, that's what I had to do the other day. I was so busy. Uh, I didn't have time to sleep. I didn't have time to take a shower. So I, I I laid down in the shower, took a little nap. And when the the, the hot water ran out, it woke me up and then I was clean. Very safe. Yes. WeTalkGames.com social networking. Can we talk about that right off the bat? It's been something that has been sucking the life and time and energy from me for the past few weeks. But I, I finally got into shape. Now, there's going to be a couple things that I need to, uh, you know, to iron out as we go along. It's an amazing, slick-looking website. It's getting there. Um, yeah, no, it's really coming together. I mean, w- we had that survey. A lot of people were saying, hey, you know, I love this podcast. I wish it had a, a website that was as equally awesome as the show and I think uh, we're living up to that expectation. It's full of social networking. In fact, I just started a new group. Uh, <laughs> look at this group I just started. It's it's. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't know. I I don't know if I can join. I asked that you group. to join. Yeah. There's already a rift between him and I. I don't think I should really get involved. Wait in until that. he gets a load of that. I hope he doesn't find out about it. He's definitely going to find out. All right, man. And also, uh, the, the new things in the Pro Gear store that we had talked about briefly. Yes. Ready to ship those out. Yeah, let's we get into that. that. We talk games, Video Power Poster 1980X. I totally forgot version. about these posters when they came ba- out back in 1980X. Yes. Yeah, well, there now there's two versions. There's one that Stinky carried around his pocket, and then I found one on microfilm. At my public library, I was able to get that. It's clean. Good. Doesn't even so, have the staple marks. And the, you can pick those up at the Pro Gear store for five dollars. Am I am I seeing that correctly? That's five dollars. Yep. Eleven wow. by seventeen. I'm going to buy both variants for ten bucks. How can you go wrong? You can't. Plus all the free gifts that you get when you when you buy anything from here. Yeah. Don't forget about those super secret bonus gifts. Yeah. Hey, I, I'm going to start a group about that right now. Okay. I'll join. All right. And TT's on there. Everybody's on there. You can social TT's network TT's on around. there. Stinky's on there. I'm on there. You're on there. John's on there. Our feet. Uh, and we also have the Wigtendo Guest Boy by Rit Team. Uh, they, all the guests up until the newest, newest shows we will have on there just ripped right out of the episodes. You can listen to any one of your favorite guests over and over and over again. Yeah, so if you want to go back and listen to Nolan, Nolan Bushnell, Trip Hawkins, Ralph Bear, Tommy Tallarico, they're all there and uh, in bite-sized chunks. And there's your reason to go to WeTalkGames.com, and I like reasons. Hey, man, I'm going to give you a reason to dust off your way. In you, fact, you're going to give me a reason. 
Actually, you gave me a reason to dust off my way. Hold on. Can I get a woo woo? Can I get a wee wee? Go ahead. You gifted me an uh, incredible game. Uh, <laughs> that's called. That's how people get paid on this show. Yeah. Every like, now uh, and then you get, get a five dollar game. <laughs> yeah. Tome Sonar. Tome Sonar. Yes. Five dollars, which is the equivalent of the Wii Point funny money. Like five hundreds. Yes. Yeah. Rhythm based game from Konami. You talked about it last episode. Mm-hmm. One button action fun. <laughs> yes. Now we've we've already heard what you felt about the game, but what was very odd is you gifted me this game, but expected me to hate it. Yeah, because I thought you know this is this is so great. I really love. I really like this. I don't love it. I mean, it's you know it's okay. I really like this uh, this t- type of wacky game, but I I, I know that you're like. You you hate certain things like you know waggle and and other things like it, this and I thought this is right not up your alley right down your alley I guess. Well, I'm going to be honest. I I actually enjoyed this game. That's great. Uh, I mean, it might have helped that I got it for free. <laughs> yes, you know, might have might have been a little bit of icing on the cake there. But um, no, I've played games like this in the past. Um, there's a game that I'm trying to remember the name and I can't remember what the name was. But basically, again, you're a businessman and you're running through an office and you have to hit the a button to jump so you jump through a window and then you jump over the buildings and you can it's a game very similar to this it's a flash game oh and i also remembered uh another flash game i played called i believe dino run which involved the same thing just hitting the jump button to avoid obstacles right but they, they also brought that out for the iphone the one that you're talking about when you're jumping through buildings cannibalt right cannibalt yeah it's awesome Great so it remind me of those those two games, and I really like those games. Except this one's wacky. Yeah, and again, and I like um, how this Japanese crazy weirdness is seeping more and more into our like you know back in the early nineties, mid nineties, we would never see a game like this because no. video game companies would deem it just too weird. But you know, with DLC and and uh, doing things with very little overhead capital, we're seeing more of these fun and wacky games, and it's cool. Like. Trash Panic is another example of this. Mm-hmm. And even during the PlayStation, we saw Mr. Mosquito and, what was it, Guitaro Man and a couple <laughs> other cool games. Yeah. Well, we're going to do Mr. Mosquito today. Oh, are we? Yeah. Fantastic. Did, Fantastic. Should I not have said that? No, I see it on the run sheets. Not very good. Yeah. Nevertheless, the game was not as fast-paced as I was hoping it would be. All right. There's power-ups in it that make the game run a little faster, and then there's slowdowns, and then there's... Power-ups, I guess they would be downgrades. They wouldn't be so much power-ups where they make you tiny. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And giant. And giant. And uh, a lot of goofiness. And you're going through ten different stages. And there's leaderboard support. There's split-screen multiplayer. It's a lot of fun. It's cool. And if that's your kind of thing, if you're into those type of games, I'd say for 500 Wii points, it's worth it. Yeah. It's a good game, but, you know, it's, it's... not everybody's cup of tea. Sure, yeah. So It's a distraction. It's a distraction. It's a reason to wipe off the Wii, get some of that dust off. It's an enjoyable distraction. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Moving on, a, a huge title out of, to talk about Japan. A huge title just came out of Japan this month. Big. Part of a, a legacy series. Juggernaut of a franchise. Of course, you know I'm talking about Mega Man 10. Yes. Out of Capcom. A lot of people poo-pooing on this game, Wiggly. I don't understand why. You know, a lot of people saying, oh, this is more of the same. Oh, they're just cranking out another game every year. (laughs) 
And uh, I'm disappointed to hear that. Yeah, me too. I don't know what they, they went out of this. What they expect. I mean, people were so excited last year with Mega Man 9, and now it's, you know, you're getting more of that, and now it's not good enough. I've even heard people say they wanted it to be 16-bit. Oh, I, see. Oh, I was expecting it to be 16-bit. Well, does that mean <laughs> next year we're going to go for a 32-bit? Me- I, I, yeah, didn't, I yeah, don't understand the up. arguments against it. Yeah, you're going to catch up real quick if you're going to jump just every <laughs> year to a new uh, bit system. Yeah, three years from now, we'll be back up to Mega Man Legends, and do we really want to repeat that game? And then four years from now, you're going to have to be three years ahead of the current technology. Exactly. When you release it. How's that going to work? It won't. It's not. Right. No, no. So for roughly $10, you can pick this up on the DLC, and I am really enjoying this game. Good. Mega Man 9, brutally difficult. Right. I think Capcom kind of noticed that, so they, they made it a little more accessible. There's an easy mode, which takes away some of the bad guys and puts um, platforms over the spikes, or some of the spikes, not all of them, and not all of the pits. Because let's be honest, three-quarters of the difficulty of a Mega Man game is falling into spikes or falling down a pit because somebody hit into you. Right. Yeah, because but, you don't have knees. Exactly. You can't duck. <laughs> right. As soon as Dr. Wily figures that out that the knee mechanism yeah. he's gonna totally conquer uh, mega man world a couple of mega man's had knees and I, I i don't know which one's off the top of my head but i wasn't mr crazy mega man i mean i like the dude he's he's cute yeah, mega man's a lot of fun if you would have flashed back to when i was a kid playing mega man 3 and would have told me hey you know that guy who jumps down the red dude who shoots at you one day you'll be able to play as him. I wouldn't have believed you. Mm-hmm. But yes, right off the bat, right from jump, you can play as Proto Man in Mega Man 10. And that's cool to me, because to me, Proto Man is like the Boba Fett mm-hmm. of the Mega Man series. Right, right. And who doesn't want to be Boba Fett? Well, I everyone Prior to, to the new movie. Exactly. <laughs> and I wanted to until episode, what was it, two, I guess. And then we found out he was just a stormtrooper. Yeah, it was lousy. Yeah, he killed the series, he killed Pinball. Nevertheless, Mega Man 10, yes, is more of the same, but more of the same that's good. A lot of people were trashing on the fact that Sheep Man was one of the villains. I didn't know that the canon of Mega Man was so serious that we we couldn't have... I mean, everybody uh, fetishizes Mega Man 2, and uh, need I remind you that Mega Man 2 had Woodman as one of the robot masters. So this isn't anything new. It's a lot of fun. I do agree the weapons, power-ups that you get from the Robot Masters are kind of weak and lame, but they work in the same way that you'd expect. You know, you use fire against ice and water against this and blade against that. It all oh, makes sense. It's all logical spoiler. progression. Yes, spoiler. Use fire <laughs> against ice. Ay, ay, ay. So if you haven't played one through nine, I'm sorry. <laughs> People I just are hanging up. Hey, and more spoilers, uh, you know, Dr. Wily is actually behind the bad things that are happening in this game. <laughs> so I think this game's a lot of fun. I like the fact that they made it more accessible. There is a lot of innovative bad guys. There's a lot of innovative mini bosses. There's a lot of innovative level design. And the game itself is a lot easier than Mega Man 9 on normal mode. Not playing as easy mode, just playing on normal mode. Mm-hmm. It is a lot easier than the last game. But it makes up for it in the interesting things that it does with this 8-bit structure that they've this this direction that a year ago we all agreed was a great idea and i think that they're continuing down the right path and i'm very excited about it and a lot of stuff just dropped about the dlc we're gonna get um 
the ability to play as base or bass, pick your uh, poison on that one. We're also going to get three time attack stages with villains based off of the Game Boy Mega Man series. So that's kind of cool. It's a nod towards the past, and I like that. Mm-hmm. I say if you like Mega Man, if you liked Mega Man 9, definitely pick this up. I like this. It's going in a good direction. Mega Man was getting it was teetering. It was on the fence of becoming like Sonic, and thank goodness it right. didn't. Yeah. I like that it's it, they dialed it back. They're keeping it interesting. And if it's not your thing, just ignore it. Yeah. But for me, I'm having a lot of fun. Right on. And, you know, you know, people may, may be complaining, oh, it's 8-bit, it's 8-bit. But, hey, it's MM7, 8-bit. So there you go, right there. Bang. True. Um, Whammo. Another small complaint. Whammo, and as I, I heard. Another small complaint, real yeah. quick. And I understand why they did this, is that it doesn't support the 16 by 9 ratio, the oh. aspect ratio of your right. television. So they put up a little border on the side. You know, at first it was a little jarring, but, you know, they this is what we have to deal with now, especially if they're going to go with the um, whole nostalgia feel. They weren't making a- aspect ratio 16-9 video games back then. so But they should have been. They should have been. They should have been thinking of the future. You know, Sega does with Nintendo. Right. Hey, let's talk about... Yes! Ve- well, let's talk about a very interesting game. All right, right. Good. He- heavy Rain. Oh, yeah, I did, I did the demo of this. Now, give me your thoughts on the demo. And oh, I didn't the play demo? the demo, so I don't know what section of the game it plays, so I'm very interested to hear that. Oh, it's really good. I, I, I felt like blowing my brains out after I was done. I felt like such a loser. Oh, great. <laughs> That's always a feeling we look for while playing video games. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's it's incredibly film noir type yes. of uh, setting, and, and the rain it is definitely heavy at times, I guess. No, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a very wet, wet atmosphere. Yeah. Now, in lieu of spoilers, I'm not going to really say much of anything about the story okay. or the characters. But this game, they're calling it an interactive dr- drama. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's fair. And yes, there's a lot of film noir elements. You're following four different characters that will eventually converge in the story. And the story circles around this antagonist called the Origami Killer. Yes. This game does a lot of things new and different, and it's very risky. And this game is, again, going back, this game is a very particular game for a very particular gamer. Mm. And I think a lot of people have already been turned off to this game, and I think it's a shame. It starts off really slow. I think it could be jarring to some people. It's very hands-on. A lot of people have equated it to just a bunch of quick time events. Mm, no. And I think it's more than that. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot of decision making and a lot of choice making, but the first, I'd say, half hour of the game, it does feel like it's just a series of quick time events. I mean, the one character you're brushing his teeth, you're showering, mm-hmm. you're picking out clothes, you're shaking a carton of orange juice and then drinking it. And you, this is all done by delicate button presses and turning the analog stick just the right way to perform these actions. And at first I was like, wow, this is strange. But I stuck with it because I'm a big fan of those graphic adventure games Mm -hmm. back from the 90s like we've talked about numerous times. So I was like, okay, this is kind of like that, but in a different way so I can get behind this. And I stuck with with it, and I'm glad I did. Again, with the spoilers, now people were really going to be surprised by drinking that orange juice and brushing their teeth. Right. Yeah, I needed to give it an example. And oh, gosh. I, <laughs> Man, you're just blowing the whole... Th- Why even buy it now? 
I know. Now that you know you drink orange juice out of the carton, but I, there's really no need to buy this game. I, let me let me break in. I've I've recently been trying to get through because because I, I own the second. Uh, what is that? Drake's Fortune. What was uh, what is that game? Drake's Fortune. Uncharted. Yeah, I, I own the first Uncharted, and I yes. own the second one. I got that for my birthday or something like this, and I never played through the first one, so I'm going through and playing through the first one, and it is remarkably similar to me to the first Uncharted, except without all the shooting that you have to suffer through and all the you know jumping up and down and falling off a cliff. To me, this game is just like that, except without all those bits of the action that I could really do without, to be honest with you. I mean, if I want to play a shooter where I have to have accuracy and hide behind barrels and shoot at people, then I play a first-person shooter. Right. So, to me, it was it was very, very similar in genre, and I doubt that anyone's compared it to Drake's Fortune. But to me, it was like that, except without Tomb Raider happening. I think you were the first person to make that comparison. Hey, stop the presses. Look, this game, is it does a lot of things different, but I love the way that it does it. Mm-hmm. I, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's certain like actions that you take for granted in the game. You know, like um, trying to climb your way up a hill. Yeah. In a game, you, you would just hit demo. the analog stick yeah. forward, and your character would do it. Yeah. In this game, it's a little different. It wants It would show you, like... Hit L1 for the left hand. Mm-hmm. Hit, hit R1 for the right hand. Right. And then you have to hold them together to get your foot up to keep going. Like, that's what this game does. I was feeling like the type of person who might really be interested in this game are the people who like those graphical adventure games from Sierra and LucasArts back in the 90s, are the type of people who really dug Mist when that first came out, mm. the whole search and explore. But this game is a lot more than that, and it's a lot more psychological. And I'm going to be completely honest, coming from it with a, a film lens, the story is not that it's not any more deep than what you would see on an NCIS or CSI or anything mm-hmm. like that. But the way that this game presents it to you and the attempts that it makes to pull emotion from you are something that is completely new and unique to me. Yeah. And very early on in the game, there is a, 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 um, a moment, which was a hook for me, where it was trying to convey panic and uh, confusion and it did it very successfully where I was just like I was getting um, frustrated because I wanted to attain the goal that I was set out to do. Mm-hmm. But the game staged it in such a way that it's like you're not going to obtain this goal. Right, right, right. It's it just it's very cool. But again, I, I'm very hesitant to recommend this to people because I know this isn't going to be a lot of people's t- game. And for the select few that will really enjoy this game, they will really enjoy it. Yeah. And for the rest who aren't going to dig this game, they are going to hate it. I already know that there's been a flood of used copies coming through the system because people buy it thinking it's one thing. Maybe it's a first-person shooter no, or maybe just an action s- game. No, they just and, want to see the boobs. Or, yeah, the, the, uh, spoiler alert on that, that takes a while. You're going to be shaking a lot of containers of orange juice before you see any of that. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, if you are interested, definitely demo it. Definitely rent it. Yeah. Uh, and when you do want to buy it, don't forget to go to wetalkgames.com. Click on the link for the Wiggly Mini Mall. Mm. You can pick it up for $51 new or $40.98 used. Right on. And what about the replay value on this? 
the creators of the game uh, have said that this game is meant to be played once. And I really respect the fact that they've said this. And in that vein, I have full intentions of taking a butane lighter and searing the bottom <laughs> of the Blu-ray disc once I've completed it. I'll do the top. That's that's where the data is. The data is closer to the top. Oh, okay. I'll be sure to do that. Yes, right. So that's it. Hey, man, it was great talking to you, talking some games with you, and I'll catch you on the council. Right on, man. Bye. Bye. Kyle Von Kubik, I couldn't do the show without him. Hey, let's, uh, Keith, let's play the portable gaming bumper. Let's get Jaden on the line. Two, three, four. Gaming. Portable gaming. You can By way of Oklahoma City, by way of Orlando, Florida, Jaden. Is is it go time? Are you on? I, I think I'm on. I, I love that there's a, there's a warm hum that comes up after you stop talking. It's very interesting. I like it. I like it a lot. It's not annoying or anything, but I really like it. But uh, speaking of Oklahoma, now do you know that Mutual of Omaha? No, no, well, I don't. Is that by Oklahoma, Omaha? It's in Nebraska. Oh well, I there think, you go. I think See? that's near here. I don't know. Well, I just remember a white-haired fella with a mustache. He was an older gentleman. He'd drive around and, and look at zebras, and uh, that's what would happen with that. Oh, now I know that it's stacked today. What do you got for us? Dude, I got so much stuff today. I'm so stacked over here with iPhone goodies. I cannot wait. First one I got, I have got words for my friends. Yes. It's a game called Words for Friends. There's a free copy in the iTunes store, and there's a paid version for two ninety nine, right? and it's put out by uh, New Toy Inc. Yeah. So it's a nice little independent developer. I'm looking at it right now. Right now, Words with Friends, it's called. Yes, Words with Friends. Okay. It is a Scrabble game without saying it's Scrabble. It's not affiliated <laughs> with the name brand. Yeah. It's just they make a just, w. just enough little changes to where they're not going to get sued. It's a W instead of an S on the Words block. Yeah, I think that's what they changed. <laughs> so what it is, is it's Scrabble, you play with either random people or you can look for your friends by their screen names. Okay. And you play a game of Scrabble back and forth with them. You can take as long as you want in between moves. I think it gives you a week before uh, it'll drop the game. Oh. And whenever someone makes a move, your phone or your iPod or whatever will uh, will pop up and say, so-and-so has made a move. Do you want to make yours? I see. So it pushes that. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, this is like the old-timey mail your chess moves to your friend across the Atlantic, and then in a week later, you get another move in the mail. Funny thing you should mention that, because uh, I've seen it advertised in their game. If you like it, they also have chess for friends. Oh, fantastic. It's great. Which, th- these, these are some of the best things I've seen come out on the iPhone. This has actually been uh, a number one app since it came out for the paid apps on the iTunes store. I want to try a little experiment with We Talk Games because I know We Talk's Games is blowing up. It's stacked. You got tons of fans. And now we have the new social media website as well. It's stacked. It is. And I want to give out my screen name, my girlfriend's screen name, and I think you're going to give out your screen name as well, right? I am. I'm ready to go. So if anyone wants to play Words with Friends with any of us, my screen name is The Eternal with no spaces, just like my Twitter screen name. Right. Rachel's is Evil Cactus with no spaces. <laughs> and mine is Bionic Wiggly. 
I want to see how many how many games we get. See if we're blowing up here because this game is uh, quite addictive to mess around with. Right on. Yeah, we'll have to put it in. You can make a group now on the new We Talk Games social media site. You can make a group of just this Words for Friends group, and then you can share your screen names on there as well. Exactly. It's good stuff. Next one's another iPhone game. This one is called Dizzy Pad by Nimblebit. This one's $1.99. Nice, simple, casual game. You take a little frog, you press the screen to make him hop on spinning lily pads, try to make it to the next one. If you can skip a lily pad, you get an extra life. Hmm. It doesn't get any more simple. <laughs> how, do you, how do you control the, the frog? You just wait for the pad to spin on its own, and you press oh. the screen anywhere, and the frog will jump. Ah, oh, very good, very good. It reminds me of that uh, Lunar Lander-ish type of game that I mentioned uh, quite a few number of uh, months ago on this show. But again, it's it's the simplicity that makes games really fun. Sure, yeah. Moondrop. And, Moondrop, yeah. rock needle. Moondrop, rock knock. Poop one, but, poop uh, two. Yes. But yeah, the frogs, you just, you just pick them up and you play. You put it down as soon as you're done. It's a great bathroom game. It's good for when you're standing in line at the bank. Sure. One of the things I like is you've got, I think, 16 or 17 frogs to choose from. Oh. And you get new ones as you unlock achievements on the game. And they're real, like, real frogs. Some of them are, are real-looking frogs. Some of them are a little bit imaginary. Okay. But uh, as someone who used to keep poison dart frogs, I do recognize several of them. Very good. That's what I was going to ask. You could tell the difference between the poisonous and non-poisonous frogs. Exactly. Right on. But definitely a, a cute little game and definitely worth the two bucks. That's another one that's been up toward the top of the uh, iTunes store since it came out. Well, I picked up Game Box. I don't know if you heard this. Game Box 26. It's 26. I have picked that up. <laughs> 26 games in one. It takes like a year to download. It's uh, only a dollar, though. It's only a dollar. I said, how can you go wrong for 99 cents for 26 games? And there's a couple of neat games in there. Of course, I haven't explored them all. Geez, I, I doubled my iPod game collection by adding that game. So, <laughs> Oh, it didn't even make a dent in mine. I see, I see. I think I've only played three of them so far. Yeah, yeah. I played the one where you're just like a motor car, and you use the accelerometer to change lanes as you're driving down a highway. I tried the uh, the Ninja one. That's the only one I remember out of playing because I played them just so quickly. Sure, sure. What else we got? Got another fun one for you. This one's actually a really beautiful game called Spirit. Okay. It's totally independent. It doesn't even have a uh, studio behind it. It's just one guy that developed the game. Oh, great. It's got beautiful, beautiful vector graphics like uh, Geometry Wars for the Xbox. The game basically follows around the premise of there's enemies popping up all over the place. And instead of shooting them... You have to take the little tail of your little guy and loop it around to make black holes. And they'll distort the background, they'll distort the characters, and they'll suck them in. I see, I see, gotcha. But the movement is purposefully distorted from how you're touching on the screen, because you're drawing the loops yourself, but if you just trace the character, it wouldn't be as fun, because it's too easy. So by making it a little distorted, you're going to run into things, and when they smash, the whole screen just warps as the character explodes. Oh, that sounds neat. Only one, so, one person made this. Wow, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. Just, just one guy, which really impresses me when I see these. Beautiful graphics, really fun game, nice and easy. I think it's only a dollar right now. It may be, I think that's a sale price. It may be $2 usually. But uh, they're also bringing in open faint support on the next update, which is like Xbox Live achievements tracking. Right. So you'll be able to compete with your friends on this and let them know how good you're doing. What else we got? I know we got some other good ones. I got some that I think... For the most part, since you have a younger listening base, only you and I are going to really get right away. (laughs) 
And these are the Fighting Fantasy series coming to the iPhone. Fighting Fantasy, you say? Fighting Fantasy. The first one is called The Warlock of Firetop Mountain, and the other one is Death Trap Dungeon. <laughs> now, both of these are available for $2 each. And what they are, if you grew up in the uh, early 80s, the 70s, this is before we had video games at home. And if you wanted to play a role-playing game, you either had to get together with your friends and play Dungeons & Dragons, Mm -hmm. or if you didn't have any friends, like I didn't, you picked up a book called Fighting Fantasy. And it was a book where, as you read along, it would say all this stuff's going on. You can picture it in your head. It's like reading a novel. Then it would say, if you want to go into the cave, turn to page 300. Right. If you want to walk around the cave and through the dark forest, go to page 196. You like a choose-your-own-adventure. Exactly what they are. The Fighting Fantasies were the original choose-your-own-adventure series. Mm-hmm. And they've come to the iPhone. They're just the same. You read them. They even have the page number that you choose to go to. So if you remember what page that says, you die a horrible, horrible death, <laughs> you can know which one not to do. Right. Right. But uh, it, it rolls dice for you. It keeps track of your character, what items you have. They're really, really simplistic, but I think that's the whole idea and the vibe of these. Sure, sure. That's awesome. That's great. Just to bring back that nostalgia of when you were little and video games didn't exist yet. Sure. Well, they did, but you had to you know, have like half a billion dollars in order to buy one. Yeah, you, if you had them, you pretty much were the kind of people that had a, a Pac-Man thing in your living room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we hadn't even heard of ColecoVision yet before that one came out. Sure, sure. Keeping in the, uh, the old school track, I've got another good one for you. I was really, really reluctant about this one when I heard it came out. It's by Capcom. It is the ever-classic Mega Man 2. Uh-huh. I picked it up when it first came out because it was on sale for a dollar. It's back up to two ninety nine now. And the thing that really scared me away was the fact that it had the virtual control pad. Sure. And if you've played any <laughs> classic-style action games on the iPhone or the iPod, you are afraid of virtual D-pads. Sure. And Mega Man's hard enough with a regular pad. So. Oh, that's an understatement. Yes. I have got to say, this is probably the second best virtual D-pad execution that has come to the iPhone yet. Hmm. This feels as crisp and clear as though you're playing the uh, as you're playing on an NES controller. Wow! One of the big things they use to uh, to help you out is there's a little circle in the center under the screen, and there's a dot in the middle, and wherever you're pressing on the D-pad is where the dot goes. So you can actually see where you're pressing without having to move your finger to look. Hmm. The A and the B button, they seem to understand when you're in between them which one you mean to press, like which one you're more touching. Okay. So the game is actually very, very responsive. It orients to uh, to landscape and portrait view, gives you two different uh, styles to play it in. Oh, okay. And it's got uh, three difficulty settings, easy, medium, and hard. And uh, the game does save your progress. You don't have to keep those really annoying passwords anymore. Mm-hmm. I've never finished Mega Man 2 when I was a kid. But having it on the iPhone now, I actually was able to play through and finish the game on hard in under two weeks. Wow, that's great. So that's a testament to how good the controls transferred to this. Check that out. That's on my highly, highly recommended list right there. Up next is something that everybody's been wanting on the App Store and we finally got. We got decent RPGs. Yes. We got very decent RPGs. Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy II have both come to the iPhone. Now, are these like the PSP versions? They are the PSP versions with iPhone controls. Great. Fantastic. So... 
beautiful redone graphics and yeah. music. Yeah, I, I really like those PSP versions. These translated so, so well. The only complaint I have about them is the, uh, the virtual D-pad. Yes, we're getting back into virtual D-pads. <laughs> it's a little unresponsive when you're trying to move your character around the, uh, the worlds. Okay. When you're, when you're in combat and you're choosing things, mm-hmm. everything moves perfectly smooth. Right, right. The only other thing that's going to set people back is both games have an eight ninety nine price tag. Youch. Yeah, less, less expensive than uh, the PSP version, so. Yeah, exactly. You're not paying $40 a piece for them like you would if you had a PSP. Right on. And the good part is if you're sitting on a bus and you want to play a game, oh, hey, why don't I download Final Fantasy? You can actually do that. A few weeks, iPad, Final Fantasy. Here you go. Oh, don't get me started on the iPad. <laughs> I'm so sad I had to fix my car window and I can't afford one now. Uh, well, see, that's why you need the iPad credit card. It's got a picture no of the one, iPad right no on one, it. No, no one's going to give me a credit card. <laughs> Speaking of the iPad, have you seen the... Uh, iPad sanitary garment carrying case. I have not seen that yet. Yes, it is called the Max iPad, and uh, it is a real product available for $30. <laughs> My goodness. It has wings. Wow. And why wouldn't it? You can even get it in, uh, oh, how did they phrase it? Lived in red wow. as one of the color options. I don't even want to look this up. I'll send you a link after the show. Okay, very good. Because I know if I Google this, it will turn out all bad. Yeah, probably will. What else we got, pal? I got to get some other people on the show. My next to the last iPhone game, and then I've got one DS game. Cool. And we'll finish the stack off. Right on. This one is the number one selling iPhone game of all time. Really? Brand new release by PopCap, the people who have only released three (laughs) games for the iPhone, and they've all been hits. Sure. The previous two being Bejeweled 2 and Peggle. Yeah. So we know it's quality. It's Plants vs. Zombies. Okay, so it finally came to the iPhone. Finally came to the iPhone. If you've been playing it on your computer, now you got a way to take it with you. Right on. And it's only $2.99. They just made another million, million, million dollars. Exactly. They need I think, more money. Uh, I think the numbers they threw out was 500,000 sales in the first week. Wow. My goodness. So fastest selling game they've ever released. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, I'm very happy to see this one succeed. For those who haven't seen it yet, zombies have taken over the world and a bunch of plants have decided to try and stop them. So you control sunflowers, pea pods, stalks of corn, all kinds of stuff, and you're just shooting at zombies that are ambling toward you slowly. And you've got zombies on lawnmowers, you've got zombies in football helmets, you've got a zombie Michael Jackson. Oh my, which probably is in bad taste now. Is it too soon? I... Maybe. Who knows? I, I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know the etiquette. Zombies versus plants. Fantastic. What else we got? We got the game that I never thought would succeed on the iPhone. Okay. Street Fighter 4. Impossible! I beg to differ, my friend. It is possible. How? What is it? A, a text-based adventure? No, that's the TNA video game on the iPhone. <laughs> Which I love. Uh, yeah, that's actually the best wrestling game I've played in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Street Fighter Four. they actually took the time to figure out how to make it work. <laughs> and I think it's going to be even better on the iPad, but it works on the iPhone. Wow. It's going to set you back $10. Wow, youch! But if you're a fan of fighting games, it's worth every penny. I have to recommend it. Now, is it 3D? Uh, is it 2D? Is it? Does it have six buttons and, and a, and a D-pad or what? It is 3D. Okay. 
uses the full 3D graphics, but it's still in the 2D setting. Sure, Just sure. like on the consoles. Right. You have on-screen controls. And uh, when I said Mega Man had the second best virtual directional pad, this has the best. My goodness. I cannot believe I can get the combos off on this as easily as I do. Wow. Uh, now, when you look at this, you're going to look at the screen captures when you go to buy this in iTunes, and you're going to oh, go, oh my god, the buttons take up the whole screen. For some reason, I've never even noticed the buttons were there while I was playing. They just disappear because you're focused on the action. Yeah, they blend in so perfectly, but they look gigantic when you're just looking at a screen capture. Okay, gotcha. So it's got the, the virtual D-pad. It's got the eight directions on the left side of the screen with just crisp, crisp understanding of what you're trying to do with it. But here's where it gets a little different from the other games. It doesn't have the three punches and the three kicks. Okay, that's fine. It has a punch button, a kick button. I forget what the S stands for, but it's uh, some kind of charge move. And then a special button. Now, if you want to tone down the difficulty level, you can turn on the special button. And what it'll do is you can just press that and a direction on the joystick to do special moves. Gotcha. To do your combos, you touch the combo bar or you touch the revenge meter. Hmm. And it'll just automatically do them for you. But again, you can go in the purest sense and do them the original way, and they still work beautifully. Now, the game does come with a little bit of a... uh, a curve on it for trying to fit it onto the iPhone. There's only eight fighters. Okay. But I have a feeling that Capcom may release some updates with more fighters down the line, especially after the iPad is out. Especially for a ten dollar price point. That's that's pretty I hope high so. for an iPhone game. But th- these big developers, you know, they're they're a little sketchy on how much they want to charge for things sometimes. Sure, sure. As it stands now, this is beautiful. Hmm. It's it's the best fighter on the iPhone. It's probably going to stay that way because the only other one coming is Tekken, and I don't know how they're going to work 3D. Oh, my. Uh, I'm very curious on that one. Yes. Don't know if I'll drop 10 bucks on that one when it comes out, but uh, we'll see. You know, I love the Tekken characters. They're some of my favorite character developments, some of my favorite chain moves in a game that where I actually could do them and pull them off. And But their move to the portable platform has just been fairly abominable uh even even on the psp i'm not crazy about it boy compared to like how soul caliber moved to the psp that is a masterpiece yeah, yeah. Now give me some soul caliber on my iphone and i'll be in yeah i don't care how bad that is i'll play it well you know they they did it so well on the psp who knows it might translate okay to the uh to the iphone but uh, hopefully well we'll see what happens but this street fighter 4 has me intrigued hey i used to play my street fighter 2 for i don't know how many years on my turbo express and there i was you know pressing the select button to change between my three punches and three kicks and of course Mm -hmm. the one punch was the start button (laughs) instead of the other two buttons that would be there so i'm not adverse to playing street fighter with a an augmented control interface might give that a shot now what we got for the ds because we haven't heard from the ds in i don't know how many months half a year or so we haven't talked about anything ds that's because they've been releasing nothing but crap for it recently it seems well what do you mean you don't like america's next top model the ds brats zebra edition it's just not doing it for me the uh the the playtime is too short (laughs) gotcha Nintendo finally got something out that matters. Okay. And, of course, it's their old fallback, Pokemon. Right. Now, I had both of these editions. I thought, you know, this is going to be really something nice for me and Chizzy. I put it on my wish list for the the 
gold version, the silver version. I thought maybe we could start our own little pokey ranches and then battle each other and stuff. But that was not to be because other things came up in the real world instead of the virtual world. But it's still, it's still, uh, you know, high on my list for eventually down the road type of games. It's exactly what you would think out of it. I mean, it's it's a Pokemon game. But uh, what they did is, if you've played the original Gold and Silver on the Game Boy Color, it's the same games, but they've added a lot of new things to make them nicer. The graphics are, of course, the Diamond and Pearl style graphics. So you've got nice, big, fleshed out, whatever the DS is, I think it's 32-bit characters. Mm-hmm. You've got nice, open 3D worlds. Mm-hmm. Um but some of the, the nicer twists I found, they finally figured out what to do at the bottom screen on a DS for a Pokemon game. Okay. It's a menu. It's not a stupid little watch with little apps that you mess with. Oh, which one of my Pokemon is floating around? What did I catch last? No, it, it's your, your menu options, which is perfect. Okay. You can pull up a map and leave it down there, whatever you want to do. The other really nifty twist I liked is if you played Pokemon Yellow, we're really going back far now because yeah, this sure. is about when I got into Pokemon. Yellow and red, right? It was yellow or no, red and blue, oh, and red then and yellow blue. was the one that came right after those. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, because they always I, make that third one to tie the two together I, down the line to get more money out of you. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. I, I have I still have red and blue on it uh, on my uh, my game shelf there. One day I'm going to finish it. Oh boy, now you make me feel really <laughs> pathetic for finishing every single one of them. <laughs> If you played yellow, you remember that Pikachu follows you around outside of the Pokeball. It's that classic 8-bit RPG thing where the other characters play follow the leader, which I always loved as a little kid. Sure. Well, now whatever Pokemon is the first in your party is going to be following you, which for me is awesome because I have a little uh, spinner rack following me around right now because I've got to have a spider. Ah, yes. So that definitely personalizes my character. Not much has changed. There are a few new twists and turns here and there. There are some new areas added to the map. There's a secret area added to the map if you manage to get a hold of Jirachi, which is a legendary Pokemon that uh, you only get through Nintendo events. So he's a little rough to get. Okay. So that'll open up a whole new section of the map. You've got the Wi-Fi trading like you had on Diamond and Pearl, which is great for me because I'm old and I don't really have friends that play the game. (laughs) And the coolest new feature, and I really like that Nintendo did something like this. Again, you have to be really old to remember the original one, but they used to have a Pikachu Digimon or one of those little pocket pets on an LCD screen that you would put in your pocket and carry around. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I remember taking the thing out and just shaking it back and forth to try and get pedometer counts on it to to level him up. Uh Well, they include one of those with the game now. And the way it works is you can transfer Pokemon wirelessly to this little pedometer device and clip it to your belt and take them with you. And as you walk, they gain experience. You can use uh, what it calls the watts, which is charging based on how many steps you take, to battle wild Pokemon on the actual little LCD screen, which you can catch ones you can only catch through this. You can look for items. You can do all kinds of little things on this and then just transfer your Pokemon back over at the end of the day. That's great. So without even playing the game, you can walk around all day and level up your Pokemon. It's like the Dreamcast VMU with a pedometer built in. Exactly. Fantastic. But this time it's actually supported. <laughs> oh, hey, I, my Godzilla and Gahedra and Gamera were all doing quite well. Thank you. Uh, then okay. it, then it just fell off. Uh, like, what do we do? It's my batteries are dead. Okay, well, let me rephrase it. This time, it's meant to work with only one game. Gotcha. Right on, there man. 
But yeah, just really beautiful game. I highly have to recommend it. Um, it's a great addition, especially if you didn't play them originally, because it, it's Pokemon. It's always going to be good. Hey, pal. Hey, send me that first words with friends, and uh, we'll get that. We'll get a game going on. Sounds like a plan. I will be texting you the Scrabble. Right on, man. Talk to you next month. I'll be here. Bye. Jaden, twitter.com slash the eternal. Also, check out Jaden at the We Talk Games Video Power Magazine, message words, wetalkgames.com. Get on board, and we can try to do that words with friends social experiment. All right, now I have to hook up this Ritim device here. I have to put uh, these uh, two things on my templates. There's... Stickers with wires hanging out. Okay, put them under my hat here. And then I'm to press this button. This is the WOG system. It is based on the transcription of the current episode, and I guess some sort of alpha waves from my brain or something, which will cross-reference a real-time keyword database and generate the most relevant special guest for our current episode. And what, dial it, Keith? All right, well... All right, here it goes. I'll just uh, turn the switch on here. Ritim. Uh. Hey. We are That's funny. Ow! Ow! It's like singe my temples. Ow! All right. See what it says here. Today's special guest will be, oh wow! With over 20 years of game programming experience, a great run of Mac games and iPhone games, the Father Gale Brothers from Strange Flavor and Freeverse. Get them on the line, Keith! Newcastle United Kingdom! The Fothergill Brothers, Aaron and Adam Fothergill of Strange Flavor. Now, I know that you're from the UK because you have that U in there. Yeah, yeah we, we spell it properly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've been told that many, many a time. I'd like to thank both of you for joining us on We Talk Games. I've been a big fan of yours. I, I don't know if it was OS 8, but definitely OS 9 and my Pismo PowerBook G3 Firewire. Oh, yeah, we, we did, um, when we first did Bushfire and Airburst, that was just as I was trying to be convinced by OSX. Aha, uh-huh, yes. So we kind of wrote it as a let's play with OSX kind of thing. I was on my iBooks back then. I had, I had the first iBook in the UK. Wow. And Adam had the second. <laughs> that was one of the funky iBooks as well, wasn't it? Yeah, they were yeah. cool. <laughs> Probably didn't have Firewire or anything like that. It was just the, no, uh, no, just the toilet seat. And, and more importantly, the screen size was only 800 by 600. Right, yes. It's entirely why both Bushfire and Airburst only work properly at 800 by 600. I see, I see. Well, let me tell you, both those games, but especially Airburst, that was my game. I loved that title. I played that for hours and hours. And that's kind of unusual for me to sit down and play for long stretches of time. But that contained elements of all the different types of game genres that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, we started with a really simple idea because I'd always wanted to do a game like Warlords. Oh, right. Yeah, and that was kind of the, the, the first games... I mean, when I started on the Apple II and the first games I really kind of got into the arcades and so on. So Breakout was the first game I ever saw in colour. And it was like really simple, but the whole thing of just breaking things, it was great, you know. And it's, 
It was so much more stress relieving than, than Space Invaders at the time. Gotcha. Then I saw a warlord strike twice, and I had this thing in my head of you know the, the breakout thing. So I kind of specked up a vague idea of a thing with flying castles. And then Adam kind of piped us, oh, what about trying to make it more cute and go with balloons? Uh-huh. I don't know how that came about, but I think it was just, yeah, it was just the simplicity of it, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. And I, I, I was cool with that because balloons are a lot easier to actually manipulate on screen than knocking bricks out of castles and making the whole thing kind of do dirt flying everywhere and so on. And it's more colourful. And it helps the castles to float. Of course. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there was a lot of different physics came out of that as well in the, in the gameplay. Definitely. In the, in the doing balloons and stuff. And, and it, keep going, going kind of more cute and silly. Then we could start thinking, right, okay, what's the fun things we remember from all that type of games? So we had fruit type power ups. And, and then we got into my favorite thing generated levels rather than having to sit down and design levels. So I design how the levels generate rather than the levels individually. So I came up with some pretty horrific formulas for how the levels work. So effectively, each level generates based on the power-ups that are on the level. Oh, I see. Wow. Um, yeah, the formulas for it are horrific. So the original Airburst was millions of levels, which uh, I only really thought about OCD people later. <laughs> um, I, I can imagine you know, some poor subs out there. I know people did get to level for 4,000 plus. Wow. These are guys who found kind of holes in the original version. You could put it on four-player mode and then leave it. Uh, no computer players to knock the human players out. It will just keep going. <laughs> They'd leave it on overnight to see how high they could get it. That's great. That was around the year 2000, right? Uh, I think we might have released it in 2001. Oh, oh 2001. That's right. That's right. Yeah, okay, very yeah. We, we, were, we were both working at Argonaut at the time. And uh, we kind of had a, a very fluky contract in that we'd been bought from another company and effectively everyone everyone from that company had been kind of re-employed by Argonaut and the company we were at then had also had the same thing we'd been grabbed from another company I'd done one job interview in my entire career <laughs> wow. um, the deal I had with the first company I was working for was that it was known I would be messing around with my own games in my spare time because I was still into experimenting with the idea of writing Mac games then, and, and nobody else then liked Macs. It was an alien thing to the games industry in the UK. Sure. And they said, yeah, okay, no problem. We'll do it in your contract, but as long as it's not competing with stuff we're doing, it's in your own spare time, you can write all the Mac games you want. So, okay, cool, you know. And so we, that actually carried through in our, both our contracts all the way through the Argonaut years. We, we just had to let them know, you know, if we were working on anything submit it just in case they wanted to sort of publish it but uh, mostly they just let us get on with it which is great oh okay so you worked at Argonaut before uh, you started your own company then yeah we'd done our own company before then and had a very bad time of it eventually doing ST and Amiga stuff and uh, it oh. went horribly horribly wrong for various reasons and <laughs> you know got, got some cult games out of it but um, then decided to go and work for someone else I worked for Electric Spectacle up in Newcastle for, for about a year and a half. And they got bought by Cranberry Source in London, and they got bought by Argonaut, and, uh, and ended up there for, I think, nearly 10 years. Wow. That did strike me as a bit odd. Here are these two brothers from the UK making games for the Macintosh, and I was very excited to have you on because I've been a Mac enthusiast since, I guess, not as long as you. I didn't start on the Apple II, but I did start around 1993 and my first computer was a Mac 2SI 
Now, were you a fan of like a lot of the hyperstack card games? Did you make your own hyperstack games? I actually missed most of it. Okay. That was what bugged me because I really liked the idea of it. And I'd seen some of the American ones that had the kind of more open educational qualities. Because in the UK, we suddenly had this fit of educational stuff where it has to fit um, a curriculum. And you have to have key elements, and you're not allowed to do educational stuff that's outside of that. Otherwise, you get people from the government kind of saying, oh, that's bad, and so on. I see, I see. It's very difficult to market an educational game that was just kind of more free-thinking. I can't remember the one that was... um, a really great hypercard one uh, in the States. I can't remember what it was called, but, but basically it had this, this character who was just doing, just kind of wandering around doing random cool stuff on each, each stack. It was encouraging kids to just kind of explore. Yeah, there were a lot of uh, story-driven titles. Yeah. I kind of always liked the idea of sort of hypercard and, and, and hyperlinking kind of stuff. I kind of experimented with them a bit, but never really particularly usefully. And then by the time I got back into Mac programming, properly, you know, where I had actual proper time and an actual working Mac to do it again. It kind of gone away, you know. It, sure. It, it, it kind of unfortunately missed most of it. Right on, right on. How did you go about releasing your first titles for the Macintosh? Badly, I think. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, because we are doing them spare time, we couldn't get a publisher because initially, because, of course, we're working for a company that is also working for a publisher. So we thought, okay, well, we'll just do it really seriously shareware and um, we had a go at uh, using a tipping jar site and I can't remember what they're called but they, they changed their names so they're actually for musicians the idea was we, we did it so that you could pay directly by post and a few people could just send money through the post because I, I still remember at the time the whole thing of not having a credit card and you're not being able to pay online or anything like that for a right. major sure. for most of us back then the test with bushfire is making it two pounds or three dollars or something like that really simple just money you can send through the post and then we found this site that was doing tips for musicians the idea was it was a guilt trip thing if you downloaded some music off napster and you're feeling guilty about it and thought that the musician should be getting some money you'd go on this site and give them a dollar you know you'd, you'd say who it's for and uh, a lot of indie musicians got in on it and decided this is a great idea. We'll put our stuff online for free and let people tip us. And we're doing okay. And then we came along and said, oh, well, actually, this is great for us. Use this site to tip us with a couple of bucks a time and we'll send you a registration code. Because right. it tells you, you can put your email details and stuff in. Um, and it worked great. And we used that for Bushfire and then for Airburst 1. And then they got bought by a big music corporation that just basically disappeared. How did your teaming with Freeverse come about? That was actually driven from that. They got into Airburst and said, we want to do some stuff for you guys. And we had to kind of arrange a few things and get some OKs from Argonaut because us having a publisher while we're actually working for them, you know, it was a bit odd. Um, sure. Because you know, we had to make sure there's no conflict of interest. We had to be pretty paranoid about it, you know. We had all sorts of things like, you know, we, we didn't really want to do Windows games anyway, but we had to make sure it was kind of a deal that we would only do Mac games for Freeverse and they would not port it to anything. You know, I see. Just in case it, it conflicted with something Argonaut was doing. So um, they said, you know, let's write some. And we'd been messing around with video camera stuff 
and accidentally kind of wrote Toy Side. I see. Well, I own that one as well, yeah. Yeah, that one was kind of a weird one. We were going through some, some nasty times, the neighbor from hell problem. Ah. Um, that was from heck, actually. That was probably a deeper one. <laughs> and, because um, what we do is, because we only wrote it on our spare time, we'd only write stuff on our holidays, so we'd take two weeks off to write again. I see. And the idea was we planned to write Toy Site on this two weeks off we'd had booked between projects we were both on at Ardmore. Got home, and it was riots going on. There was these kids out in the street trying to attack police cars and harass all the neighbours, and we decided, yeah, it's probably not the ideal situation. My so, goodness. Um, yeah, so we played off down to our mum's place and worked off her dining room table for two weeks. <laughs> wow. Where does an idea for Toy Site come from? Toy Site, like I said, was kind of an accident. I was messing around with QuickTime stuff for Airburst Extreme and okay. found out that I could read the camera in on it and then was messing around with reading the camera in on it to see if I can do motion detection. So then it was a case of sitting down and thinking up mini games that would suit. At the time, Sony were doing iToy Court, of course. Mm-hmm. And we had not really been following it because we hadn't been doing anything for Sony at the time. So the thing was a case of, okay, we'll, we'll purposely avoid looking at iToy stuff because A, Sony have a very odd idea about it. And they were doing some very, very clever research and stuff. But we didn't want to mess with that, you know. It's just, sure. okay, let's just write some stuff that we think we'd have fun with, different types of games with these controls. And it was kind of a, almost like an experiment, really, of it, to see how these controls actually work. So we ended up with a bit of a variety. We wanted to try and do multiplayer because we saw it obviously as a kind of a party thing. So you, so you had quite a few sort of two-player games and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And then we decided we had to do some more over-the-top stuff. So the Owl and the Pussycat was a very freaky one in that we actually decided, okay, let's do a proper 2D platform game, but where you're actually flapping your arms to control it. And that one sort of came about. Island God was the classic one because that was a case of, okay, thinking way ahead of things, of course, was what would Peter Molyneux do if he had motion control? He would write Populous. So we did a Populous game where you sort of fairly miniaturized version of Populous where you play a god and you just have to quickly control stuff on the island. And all of them were designed around the basis that we have so little time to write it. So it's got to be written, mostly it's down to Adam's sort of our art thing style in, in that we have to be kind of perfectionist on the styling mm-hmm. uh, and look it can't be kind of half finished sort of for the game so, so we have to keep them very small and very simple and fun right right so it's kind of did that one and of course coming along sort of 10, you know, nearly 10 years later and Pete Molyneux now got motion control and but, you know I'm betting he's going to do a populist game <laughs> right right is that how this team works how you divvy up the tasks for your games well, I do the main part of the game design. Adam tends to pitch in on ideas on that, uh, and usually we just argue about it for ages uh, <laughs> until we come up with something we're happy with. But I kind of get controlling thing on game design, uh, and I also do all the coding. And then Adam does all the art, his complete overview of the general sort of uh, art design, and of course all the sound and music. Okay. So that can sometimes influence the game design as well because I'll, I'll sometimes come up with a bit of artwork and, and then they're in a bit of hole, we can do this or that. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that, that's entirely what yeah. airburst down the path it went along. Sure. Crazy. I'm sure you never had in mind giant stuffed animals sitting on top of your castles. No, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and those characters really caught on. 
Yeah, I mean, we got some really great fan emails and stuff. I've still got a picture on my wall, actually. Some kid sent in a, a painting done of the four characters. So I was well chuffed for that. And in fact, it was um, MacAddict, the uh, print magazine. Sure. They, they had a competition years back to dress up as your favourite games character. And the guy that won it actually was dressed up as Flux with a complete ring of balloons around him. And he had his head shaved bald and painted red and white. Uh, it was brilliant. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, when you were making games for the Mac and you were making Bushfire and making Airburst and Airburst Extreme, and then when you started designing games for Freeverse, I'm sure even back then, Freeverse, I mean, what did they have out they had? Jarrett, they had Sim Stapler, they had uh, the... When we sort of started working with them, they'd already got the, the Burning Monkey series out. Which was amazing. I, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and Wingnuts, of course. Wingnuts. Um, so, so they were pretty well-established for Mac games, so we were quite happy to sort of team up with them. You know, because um, it's a case of these are people who can really kind of start pushing our stuff to the right people. And they have a very high art concept ethic as well. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So Real they quality titles. push us to kind of you know, make sure we didn't slack off or anything. Sure, sure. But I'm sure no one was prepared for the iPhone, the iPad, and the explosion of the success that came out of that. Yeah, that was the thing was we were all complaining like crazy when the iPhone came out and Apple didn't let us in on it. I see. It was a case of you know this is the perfect platform for us. You know we could, I mean we, we've we've done everything from GBA upwards. So and, and Freeverse have been you know, we've got guys there who have been working on everything sort of you know sort of all sorts of platforms. And it seemed crazy not to allow devs to play on it. And then Apple kind of went the opposite totally and let every dev on it which was also a bit crazy but yeah it kind of worked out for them <laughs> yeah isn't flick fishing one of the most successful ipod games of all time it's not the most successful in terms of numbers yet i think we're about third in numbers i think possibly fourth i think doodle jumps actually overtaking everybody now i think they've got they're claiming about three million now oh i see i see uh, i know pocket god's done a couple of million and i think flight control is pushing a couple of million and I think at the moment, Flick Fishing is actually just, just on the two million mark. We've also sold a lot of in-app purchases as well. I definitely want to take a look at Flick Fishing, if you don't mind, because this sure. is really a, a game that works perfectly on the iPod, the iPhone. The interface, the complexity of the title itself, it, it just sort of fits perfectly for this type of uh, spare time gaming. Yeah, I, it was one of these games originally I didn't actually want to do. Okay. And Adam had this idea for a way of doing water. Because we'd been talking to Freeverse about this, the flick games and stuff. And we, we, what we do is both of us will annoy Ian and Colin from time to time by pitching them crazy ideas. And most of the time, it's actually ones we don't want to do. We just kind of want them to, to do it and see if they can come up with something. But on, on flick fishing, Adam actually came up with the idea as he actually wrote most I think, uh, you did most of Plank didn't you Adam oh, yeah I did yeah yeah because the idea was we'd test test the waters with the iPhone to make sure our setup was good for working on it so we got a, our first Intel Mac we got a MacBook in to do that mm-hmm. and I was carrying on my stuff but kind of giving you info on how to convert Plank over from the toy site version uh-huh simplest one to do that we could we could expand mm. so Adam did most of the grunt work on that and we were designing kind of other games and, and Flick Fishing kind of came up as, as one of the first ones we thought of while Freeverse were getting on with their launch titles 
I'd said, oh, let's do a fishing, we should do a fishing game, but we're not too sure about doing it. And Alan came up with the idea of how to do the water and how to put the graphics together to make it look right for the iPhone. Mm. And they said, yeah, you guys have got to do this. You know, it's like, okay, well, we'll do it, you know. So I, I had to go away and think about fishing games and how fishing games worked, the best ones, you know, because I played a lot of them. Sure. You know, but, but there's this key element. And the same with any game, there's always key elements of the game that's critical. It's not so much about being a great fisherman and knowing everything. You, you get experts in for that. So we're lucky in that our mum's partner is a, an ex-fisherman. Oh, great. Uh, so he's done fishing, you know, everything for, from casual angling to full-on fishing at sea on a trawler and everything mm-hmm. so he had a lot of useful information and rather than becoming kind of fishing nuts that don't know how to write games it's a case of okay we'll, we'll focus on what we know how to do get the game right and adam of course sits down and gets works out how to get the art right so it will look right for everybody mm-hmm. part of getting the game right is making you feel that you're in the game you have to have that kind of illusion that you're into it, same as a film or anything. Oh, yeah. I was quite surprised uh, at, at the look of this title, especially when you're surfing uh, on the ocean there. And yeah, yeah. We had the rain people and... they were getting seasick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, wait till you see the HD version. That's, oh. Uh, yeah, that's, that's hopefully that going through at the moment. So, you know, we keep our fingers crossed on that one. Very good. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of getting all, all that right and just the right amount of fishing data. There's a lot of complaints about it's a bit silly because you've got the bobber all the time. And actually that's a very deliberate gameplay element because you're focused on that on screen. If you're doing it realistically and just having the line into the water, you don't have anything to focus on. So you, you just don't get the gameplay right. The timing's all wrong and so on. Sure, sure. And you don't want to be waiting half an hour to catch a fish when you've got a, a game in your hand and you're on a train or something. And right. You want to actually be playing the gameplay elements of it. So we kind of tuned it down. The idea was it was, it was kind of a fishing microcosm or something. You know, it's, it's all the elements of the fun parts of fishing games all in, in one thing. And we kept our fingers crossed, you know, that it would kind of all work because you can never tell. <laughs> yeah. You, sometimes you can't tell until it's almost complete if the whole thing will work. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, especially with the iPhone market because it's a very different market for most of us. Not the, the, the big mass of absolute hardcore gamers out there. You know, there's a lot of very, very casual gamers. Sure. Um, and just lots of people who've never played a game before in their life, and you, you really are trying to see if you can get them into playing games, games with this sort of stuff. And a lot of the time, it just doesn't work. I think before Flick Fishing, I think my favorite fishing game was uh, Sega Bass Fishing for the Dreamcast with the controller. Yeah, yeah I mean, I played a couple of the deep sea fishing ones on the PC when, when we were writing Croc 2 for the PlayStation. Um, that most of the team would kind of take breaks and see if they could catch the biggest fish kind of, kind of between coding sessions. And that was kind of typical for that. And then all these games kind of evolved along a certain path of each game must have this. I feel sort of out of touch with my, my guests. I, I usually know a lot about my guests, and, and I'm afraid that I wasn't even aware that you developed for so many other different consoles and systems. Yeah, it's actually kind of like working in a big company like that because you're just one of a team. Adam actually worked in a totally different department, which was quite weird. It's the first time we've not worked together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we knew, uh, were working on completely different games most of the time as well. So, I yeah, see, I yeah. see. I mean, I did, what, PlayStation 1 stuff. I, I, I was on the first Harry Potter game. The guys that I worked with on the first Harry Potter game have just won two BAFTAs for their Batman Arkham Asylum game. 
Oh, fantastic. They, wow. they, most, most of that team went on to start their own company after Argonaut shut down. So what about the iPad? I really haven't talked about this with any of our guests, and now you two are the first people I've talked to that are going to actually have titles on the iPad. Is this something that's exciting to you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a part of the thing with most of the iPad devs, or hopefully in theory all of the iPad devs, where we're kind of developing blind. We've all only been able to really use the simulator. Right. Um, we came up with a technique that we, we guesstimated that if we use the sim and then the 3GS is about the same kind of theoretically memory map and speed. So we kind of cross-compile for the 3GS and test a lot of elements on that and so on. So we get a, a reasonable approximation. And a lot, a lot of the devs have had to do the same thing. And then you kind of throw it to Apple and they say, they say yay or nay whether it actually does work or not. We should have some good stuff coming out with that. But it, we're all nervous, basically. I mean, we're even worse because we're in the UK. We don't actually see it until a lot later. <laughs> right, right. Now, one thing I was uh, sort of unaware of as well was that Slots Racer, you, you were behind Slots Racer for the iPod, the iPhone, and uh, I, I didn't know, like, the barrier between the West and the Wester, I don't know really even the proper terms, but, but between the United States and the UK, I didn't know that AFX and slot car racing, I didn't know how that played in the UK. Was that, yeah, it, was that it, popular? Yeah, it's, it's something very, we found it very strange. Freeverse free said, oh, we don't want you to do a slot car racing game because we've never heard of it in the US. And despite actually one, one of the guys on the Freeverse forums, a guy called Slot Car Bob, who was one of our testers, he's actually based in the States, and he is an absolute slot car nut. And he tested for us and, and kind of reassured Freeverse that yes, even though it never really took off in the States, there was enough of a core fan base there for it to at least be okay. And we knew, because I mean, we're both Grand Prix nuts, and I had electric sets as a kid, and we actually went to research at our, our mum's because she actually collects them for some obscure reason. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, we actually went up to her place to get her old set out and mess around with that to do some research. We knew it had core countries it would be successfully to a point, but it was more kind of doing it because it's something we wanted to do for fun, you know, it was a game we wanted to play. And um, we were quite pleased because it took off in UK, Spain, and Portugal, which are always key ones for slot car racing, went straight to number one in Germany. By the end of its first week, it hit number one in most countries apart from America. I see. And it got to number, I think it got to number three in America on the basis of it doing well everywhere else. In fact, the Boron fans at Touch Arcade actually were a good part of that because they started asking questions about it. So I was sort of corresponding with them on the forums and they took to it really well. So I think a lot of the word of it got out from things like Touch Arcade forums and so on. And I'm aware it is a one-button game, mm -hmm. but it's kind of all the elements of slot car racing was the idea. We just wanted to just make it fun. Sure, yeah. You just press down a lever and shit, and that's... That's it. it. And it was kind of quite strange explaining it to a lot of Americans who'd only seen the, the Tyco ones, where I think they, they got kind of desperate in the States to try and get the concept to work out there in the 80s. So they released all these weird ones with... Um, guns and fighter jets and loop -de loops <laughs> right. and all this kind of thing and it got away from it being a racing set sure, um, sure. So, so it kind of confused people when they saw it because I think a lot of people thought the idea was you found the you're playing on a, a, say a straight loop or something or on a figure of eight but with those they're very simple slot racing so what you do is you find the exact point on the accelerator where you just let the car run around on its own at, at that speed constantly and you'll never come off 
and because the other guy comes off because he's trying to accelerate and decelerate, you'll probably win. And in proper slot car racing, it's actually about accelerating and decelerating mm-hmm. more than holding a steady speed. Sure. So um, with a complicated track, so a lot of people didn't quite get the idea that you actually had to take your finger off the button sometimes to decelerate. Right. Yeah. Once you got that across, you know, most people got it. So so uh, you know, it did well. It's it's, it's our favourite game of, of our ones. It's one we always go back to to mess around with, and we've been experimenting with updates. But of course, the, the priority is always always going to be on. And the publishers always pushing us for either the new stuff or for working obviously on flip fishing to keep that current. Sure. Because uh, there's, there's a lot of people want little tweaks and little bits that they'd like us to tune and add on that one. And slots, it's a case of we've got some very, very fun stuff worked out for, for the iPad that we've oh. worked out up on the sim. And, um, and there's lots of stuff we just want to do in it, you know, at various points. So hopefully that's just going to get you know, bigger and bigger as we release more stuff. Can I wait? Warpack Grunts, let's talk about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a fun one. This is my style of game, this type of go-through, throw grenades at people and shoot tiny little players. Uh, what was the inspiration behind this, as if I don't know? Uh, it was kind of an obvious one you know, in Cannon Fodder and all the games like Cannon Fodder. So it's one on the Sega, I think it was Major Chaos or something. Sure, yep, yep. I think it was one of the ones that inspired Cannon Fodder originally. Mm-hmm. And the whole mini, mini guys wargaming. And we have this kind of backstory thing for, for, for the Warpack genre. It's kind of a, theoretically a long-running sequence of games that may or may not ever happen. Right. Um, technically, this is actually a prequel to the Warpack stuff, but each game's very different style. I see. Um, but there's, there's kind of a backstory to the whole thing. But um, we thought, you know, let's just do a, a, a fun little arcade game where you run around and shoot and blow people up. And who wrote um, the dialogue for this? That was me. Yeah, very. My, my usual. <laughs> I've got very tongue-in-cheek cynical with my dialogue over the years. Yes, indeed. Way back when we were working for Cranberry, um, they were writing a game called Quad, which eventually got called, called Quintessential Art of Destruction, but actually stood for Quick and Dirty. <laughs> and um, back then it was recognised that pretty much the, the plot for every single shooting game going was really, really rubbish. <laughs> You know, it was just some made-up junk that never fit the game, and you could throw anything in. So the first thing we did for Quad was wrote the thing called Enid, the Engine of Narrative Interactive Destruction, which just made up stories on the fly. So every level you played in the game, it made up some excuse for why you're going around shooting everything. That's fantastic. And, and, you know, that's kind of carried on, I think, every time. There's very, very few games, and Bioshock's one of the best ones for actually having a story that gets you into it. Sure. Uh, And Death X, of course, which was a good one. But most of the time, really, you don't need to listen to the story. Grunts, the storyline, is kind of a, okay, let's have a generic bad guy. We're going to put him in South America because... Every single game where you're shooting a terrorist is set in South America. Sure. You know, there's even cases like, like it's a generic South American country because, you know, whenever they do these things, they never say which country in South America it is. It's just some kind of South American-y kind of country. And it's really unfair on South America. It's probably a really nice place with no terrorists at all. But, you know, they, they need to set the game somewhere, of course. Sure, sure. And then we had Evil Dude, of course, you know, because uh, we had to have a generic Evil Dude. And, uh, and generalissimo. It's just a case of having to have really all the elements of the Bond and Rainbow Six and all that kind of thing <laughs> there as a, as a general plot line so we could actually just have you, give you an excuse to kill people. Right. 
It does that quite well, quite well. Speaking of the Bioshock series and, and newer things, and the fact that you had Macs, were there any other unusual gaming systems, gaming consoles that are near and dear to your heart that you endear to, and what are you playing now? Still playing on the 360. Uh, I've been really, really chewing through Borderlands. Okay. I love that. I just the, the random gun thing is great. I've got to the point now where I've got. I think you end up getting one good gun early on, and realise actually, no matter how random the later guns are, there's always this one gun you may always end up using. But it still rocks. Yes. <laughs> very, very good stress. I think Adam's going to be playing. What's it called? What's the one? The um, one you're into, Adam. That we got the new version coming out soon. Oh, uh, just cause. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really waiting for that yeah. one. Got that on pre-order. <laughs> I see. I think I can stop playing GTA, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've played that to death. So. <laughs> How about uh, classic gaming systems? Anything that was unusual that you had uh, in the earlier years? Oh, CD32. We wrote one of the top games for that. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. We wrote um, Jet Strike years and years ago, and um, and if you can find the CD32 version of Base Jumpers for that, that's a real rarity. We wrote that one basically just as we were going bust at the time, and that was a chuckle. But some of the other games on it were great. It was we ended up spending more time playing them than writing for it because it was the absolute poorly designed, poorly thought out, poorly marketed, uh, poorly built. <laughs> and just disappeared into obscurity really quickly, but there's some fun stuff on it. Right on. As a game player and a Mac enthusiast, I cannot wait for the iPad, and I hope, as a developer, the future looks just as bright for you. Yeah, I mean, we've got, well, we've got all the new stuff coming up, of course, so, you know, buy our games, which is what keeps us... We're not rich, unfortunately. It's always quite funny seeing this whole thing of, oh, iPod developers must be extremely rich, and no, you just have to pay off lots of debt. <laughs> I see, I see. And um, the community's quite strange. We haven't actually released anything new for a while because of going going back, we hit the classic wall of... Um, we wrote all this stuff early on, and then, of course, go back and update it and update it and update it, and then you realize it's six months to a year have gone by and you haven't released anything new. Right, right. So uh, we'll, we'll be remedying that one soon enough, you know. Very good. Aaron and Adam Fothergill, thank you very much for stopping by and talking games with us, and we look forward to picking up all of your games on the iPod, iPad, and Mac, head on over to strangeflavor.com. Remember, we can't spell flavor without you. And also stop over to freeverse.com and find out all the things that they've created for that fine company. Thanks, fellas. Thanks. You know, bye now. Bye. Stinky, if you would have told me two years ago that I would have the creators of Amiga CD32's Jet Strike and PlayStation 1's Croc 2 on our show, I would have thought you were crazy. And here we are today. Seriously, fantastic to have them on. I've been a fan of Strange Flavor ever since I first saw their OpenGL psychedelic background underneath their logo. We'll have to have them on in the future to talk about their years at Argonaut. Hey, let's start our youth-based stretch of correspondence. Let's get Kirby on the line. Snowapolis! Uh, Kirby! Winter Kirby. World, 119, go! Yeah, Yes, using the using the uh, telephone effect. Hey, Kirby, great to have you on here on this beautiful day. And by beautiful, I mean I'm standing in 13 inches of water in the chicken coop. But, you know, March showers bring April showers. and Even more wetness and, and lovely. Yes, sir. Hey, what do you got for us uh, this fine month there, Kirby? As I claim to be the, res- the resident RPG nerd, 
and also a bit of a Bioware fanboy. I got Bioware's latest Space Odyssey epic thing, Mass Effect 2. All right, now the Mass Effect 2. Now, the effect is, of course, some type of tremolo, a phase shifter, maybe a little bit of Lennon flange piano going on. Yep, it's a music game. You what play it on your harpsichord. What is the effect that happens? The Mass Effect in the theory of the universe is basically, it's the game's explanation for dark energy. Mm. It's like a Star Wars force kind of effect that can affect everything, and they just call it the Mass Effect. Okay, gotcha. So how'd this uh, float your boat? Now, you played this for the 360, you say? Yep. Hold on. Go ahead. I'm sure most people who were fans of the first one have already picked it up. But for those who may not have had a chance yet or don't have the financial means, it is a direct sequel. It takes place two years after the ending of the first one with your preset character, Commander Shepard. The interesting thing about this, you can either be uh, a short, brown-haired, grizzled man or a short, brown-haired, grizzled woman. You can be either gender here, and it works. Aha! Uh-huh. I don't suppose you played the first one at all. Not yet. I, I have watched the commercials, though. Well, for those who have and haven't tried the second one yet, it's quite a bit different. Okay. The first one, it was very loot-based. You'd run around, kill stuff, and it would drop, you know, 58 billion different guns. And you go back to the store and see if those guns are better than the ones you already have. And lots of Bioware micromanaging. Gotcha. And the second one, it's very first-person shooter-based. Okay. So they took out all the unnecessary RPG stuff that first-person shooter fans didn't like about the first one. So now you only have one set of equipment, but throughout the game you find various upgrades for it. So that replaces the loot system. But does it still have role-playing game elements? I mean, is it still, does it still appeal to the RPGer? It will, but not as much as the first one. Okay. I mean, those who like, you know, the loot system and running around and selling things and hyper-advanced character customization, they took a lot of that out. Mm. In the first game, you had about ten different skills. You can level up this one. It pulls it down to about five. Okay. In the first one, there's a lot of kind of different redundant powers that all sort of did the same thing. Now each thing is very specialized, and you know what you get when you put your points into something. So what do you think about it? I think it is the cat's pajamas. Oh. Well, that's probably just because I'm a Bioware fanboy. I've loved just about every single game they've ever put out, including Jade Empire, which I heard you and Eric Alex talking about on a few months back. <laughs> Don't be knocking down my Jade Empire. <laughs> I have no idea what it is. Well, that sounds great. I think uh, you really sold me on that. I mean, what do you do, Jay? Drive around in a Jeep? No, actually. The okay, first game, very good. The first game, it had a, it did have a driving element. You'd go around to all these different, you know, unexplored planets on a Jeep-type vehicle called the Mako, and a lot of people didn't like that one. I didn't find it so bad, but I've heard people compare it to a fat man on a unicycle. It's really hard to control. This time, they took that out completely. Whenever you go to a planet, you drop in exactly where the mission is supposed to take place. So it sounds like they took everything out of the game. They didn't take everything out of it. They just improved it. Ah, streamlined. Now, does it have online? Um, it doesn't have online. Okay. It's a single-player-based thing like most Bioware things are. Just, I think about all Bioware things are. Yeah. All right, Kirby. Well, hey, join us when you have something else to talk about, and then we'll have you back on. Take care. Yep, bye. Let's go right over to Wiggly Seto. Open the line, Keith. 
Wiggly Cito, somewhere in the bowels of New Jersey. Where are you exactly in New Jersey? Lumberton. Oh, that's right, that's right. Lumberton's. All right, so go ahead, Lumberton. What do you got for us this month on... Well, we'll come back to the show, number three. And number two, what do you got for us? Let's see. Since I did Beatles Rock Band last time, I'd like to talk about Freeze Pop Rock Band. What are you no, talking about? Real. Oh, okay. Very good. Okay. Bayonetta, developed by Platinum Games and published by Sega. Uh, I actually have a request here for you. I don't take requests. Uh, from Yolanda. Okay. So, Yolanda wants you to sing the song from the commercial. Oh, horrible. Rip off of Simon Stinger. Here's the real hook. Now it's a good See, that's how you really sing without pitch correction. Now go ahead, back to your story. All right, it's an action game that plays very similar to Devil May Cry. Similar art style. It's got a lot of decorative characters, really detailed stuff. It's got a high frame rate and a lot of over-the-top action sequences and fights. A lot of big wackiness uh, going on. Baby faces on everything. and <laughs> Yeah. First time I played it, it's rather challenging on normal mode. It took me about 10 hours, but I ended up playing the game four more times so I can earn all the achievements. So it might have been like 35 hours I put into the game. Wow. So the game is meant to be played several times. There's lots of unlockables, uh, like costumes you can get and weapons if you're into that stuff. One of the things I didn't like, the story was really confusing, and the game doesn't really do a good job telling the story. What real story you need? A girl gets all naked and throws her climax at you. So what do you need a story for? Exactly. Right. I had a real fun time playing it since I did play through it four times. Check it out, and I'm sure they're making a franchise out of it since it's really successful right now. Right, right. What else we got? The Rock Band Network launched recently, so now you can purchase songs from independent artists. I was quite excited for this. There's a lot of indie bands in there and some more well-known bands. Like, I saw Blondie is supposed to be in there. Okay. I'm surprised to see them in there. If you're a fan of Left 4 Dead 2, the Midnight Riders in there. If you play that game, you'll love that music. It's a nice way to build up your Rock Band library and discover some new musical artists. I think I talked about this on Facebook with you. Will we be seeing any trapdoor in Rock Band Network? Mm. Well, I paid my Microsoft fees to be able to start trying to do this, and unfortunately, with all the media I produce, I can do everything except what I actually want to do. So, well, I hope so. I, you know, I hope to do that because I did spend the loot, and it wasn't cheap either. So, uh, I think you're gonna have people who can chart the notes for you, though. Yeah, well, I haven't seen anyone charting anything for me. <laughs> I've seen an application that I was able to download for free. I've seen a lot of fees go out in my pocket. And for the return on investment that I'm going to get from this, from you know the 15 people that will buy my uh, Chikara songs, I don't know. It's more of a wishful thinking and where I would like to be type of envisionment. But thanks for depressing me, Wiggly Fito. Not a problem. Right on, man. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. You can catch Mike Wiggly Cito over at Mike's Place for Words, mpfw.blogspot.com. What's that key? Ouch. Oh, cool. Open the lines. Youngstown, Ohio. Ouch. Hey, welcome back to the show, Ouch. 
Hey, good to hear from you, Wig. I saw you were just in the queue for some reason. Maybe you dialed the wrong number, and, and Keith put you through. So I'm glad that you're here. What do you got for us? Anything? Just a few real quick things I can guess I can go over. Okay, very uh, good. Did you see the Yakuza 3 demo that came out for the PlayStation 3 there? Hey! That's the that's what I was telling you about was coming, Yakuza 3. Remember when you talked about that? Yeah, of course I remember. I, I even mentioned that it was out in a demo. I stink. Yeah. Hey, how would you... Hey, did you play that Yakuza 3 demo? Yes, I did. Did you stink? That that is all. Do I stink? No. Uh, That's great. You run around like a nut. Hey, look, I'm a real (laughs) tough gangster. I run everywhere like a crazy person. (laughs) What do you think about it? There's more to it than running, stink. There's more to it than running. There's also punching people. Oh, yeah, the gangs, they get you. They get mad at you. And then you fly around. You flip around in slow motion sometimes. Oh, that might be a different game. You fight a chandelier. No, I I gotta go. All right. Well, that's boy. That's more than you you've done in like six months. I think. What's going on with that guy? What does Stinky do when he's not talking? Is he just staring into the wall or just looking around or? He stares sometimes. Sits at the end of the bar. He listens. Well, sometimes he's got like one half of his earbud in. The you know his ears. They're kind of. His ear, he's got ear problems, number one. They're, they're a little right. loose. His shoulders sort of go into his ears a little bit, which is kind yeah, of... Yeah, oh, okay, okay. That's like normal. Distended ears of some sort. But uh, he, he mostly flips through the same Life magazine with Michael Jackson on the cover in his red jacket. And he pretty much stares at that and falls asleep. Hmm, okay. So. Well, world don't move to the beat of just one drum. Lies! Okay, Stink. That that joke was funny maybe five months ago. Yakuza three, I'm I'm of course I downloaded oh, yeah, we the do demo. Talk about games on this show, it took don't we? it took it was like a, a gig download or something. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it was fairly large but there's a lot of stuff packed into it for a demo when you consider. Yeah, you just have to avoid the police and then you get to uh, go around and try to sample a tiny, tiny smidgens of everything. Really brings back all of the Shemu experience. Right, so, right. Except in in a most deaded Yakuza street gang mafia type of packaging, which, like Stinky mentioned, you pretty much run around like a maniac uh, constantly, unless you really, really purposefully try to go slowly. You're pretty much running everywhere. Just about, because as the city is laid out, it's fairly large for yeah. city. Large Tokyo. Yes, large Tokyo. Yes, and a lot of back alleys and different Mm -hmm. things happen. A lot of different stores, different entertainment places you can go to, things like that, yeah. Now, were you aware of the Yakuza series before this? I remember listening on some other podcast, just one editor just being in love with the Yakuza series. But no, I've I've never actually played it until this demo that came out. Okay, very good. So this was your first experience with this thing. And what happened when you first started going? You thought, man, this is really cool. It's so stylized, so slick, and then you're running around like a marathon runner. What did, what did you think? Yes, uh, when you first started, you basically fight, I'm assuming, this boss battle at the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Playing through, it's pretty much a combo system. You mash on the square button, and then in between, you hit the triangle button to end the combo. Mm-hmm. Little bit 
clunky maybe, but still it gets its job done. Maybe it's just because it was a boss battle, but those enemies seem to take forever to whittle their health bar down, you know? Some of them are tough, and and it's all about trying to figure out how you can fight the gang simultaneously and and still endure. And and I think the problem is, is that since Yakuza 3 came out in Japan, we got to experience the awesome crowd-on-one Batman fights, which just, you know, are amazing. So then to step back into this more crazy speed, frantic, button-mashing gang battles is kind of, it kind of loses something. But it's still really, really neat. And it's so quirky as well, which I think is, is what's awesome about that series. Maybe Yakuza needs more gargoyles so you can hang off of. Maybe that's what it needs. <laughs> Just throw a few gargoyles in there, and then he whips his belt up to there, and then it would be it'd be perfect. I yeah. think. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. What else you got for us, man? Other than that, the only game I've really played in depth was uh, the old quote classic Mr. Mosquito on the PlayStation Two. Yes, it's a classic. Stretch Panic and Mr. Mosquito, two <laughs> overlooked sleeper hits. Now, your favorite part is, of course, the bathtub scene. Hey, I'm older now. I understand where it needs, but I I can enjoy the game for what it is now, no matter what stage it is. Okay. So, what do you do in Mr. Mosquito? I'm going to pretend like I've never heard of this or played it, or I don't, I don't even know what a mosquito is. Okay. Well, what you are is, you're this small insect with giant bug eyes, and you're flying around, and you're just annoying this Japanese family and sucking their blood, covering them in insect bites throughout this entire summer. Yes. That's essentially in a nutshell. Right. And it's fun. It's a delight. It is interesting once you get used to it. Just the one thing I remember playing back through it, there are cut scenes where the family is like all like being dramatic with all the bugs and all the inter-turmoil between the family members and things like that. It kind of sounds like either A, they took a real Japanese family and just told them speak regularly, or they got a bunch of white actors to go, think of the worst Japanese stereotype voice you can, and that works too. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't played it in, in a little while, so I, I might have to uh, go back or YouTube it or something to fully appreciate what you're telling me now. Right. Next. Once you see it, you would entirely understand. Right. But the play mechanics, you fly around and you, you try to not get squashed while yeah. you bite. I think it's a game mechanic I never exactly got used to, but I still somehow beat the game. Because I just remember, now how you suck blood is, you land on their skin, you click in the R3 button to pierce the skin, and then you rotate that stick in time with their pulse rate, so you can absorb more blood, Yes, and that way they don't notice. Exactly. I think I was just spinning it as fast as I could, just keeping it inside their little gauge, and it somehow worked. I see. They were getting, they were getting really, really annoyed, but I still got their blood, so. <laughs> so there's many ways to play this game. More than likely, yes. Sometimes Very you get edited by squash, other times not. You take that risk sometimes. See, everyone's saying about these, you know, these new titles, Mass Effect 2, and the depth of that, but Mr. Mosquito... Ten times more deep and different varying ways of to play this this Mr. Mosquito game. Yeah, you start to ask questions like, what if I was a mosquito? <laughs> hey, ouch. Uh, yeah. Where can people find your, your stuff, your videos that you make now? Technically, they're still on the YouTube. I know they're all still archived on the Wiggly Boards, but I now have a Twitter. So I am now, once again, in the future of friendship. It's twitter.com slash 
Ouch Films, capital A and capital F there. And that is, of course, the account that you signed into the We Talk Games Video Power Magazine Audio Fanzine Social Networking Club dot com boards with yes. as well some variation of that but yes and we will we'll, we look forward to seeing your your new masterpieces on there as well so hey thanks for joining us thanks for stopping in i know that it was unexpected so uh, it's always good to hear about mr mosquito stories mm-hmm. see you man goodbye bye all right keith let's go coast to coast let's get two pi r on the line los angeles i always wanted to say that i don't know why i don't remember who says that two pi r what do you got for this uh episode well for this episode allow me to get into the character of kratos and say bow your head <laughs> because of course in the ps3 world the uh the big news is the is the final chapter of the god of war trilogy god of war 3 making its big debut on the ps3 and I am here to tell you, nobody that owns a PS3 should ever purchase this game. I know, it's been getting excellent reviews there. everywhere, and people yeah. are bending over backwards to say how much they love it. Uh, people are adding extra stars to their rating just so that they can give it to God of War. So, you know, somebody has to take the contrarian viewpoint, and it might as well be me. Alas. You know, there are actually some several really good reasons why you should not purchase this game, and I'm here to give them for you. Uh, the first is... As soon as you put this game into your PlayStation 3, you're going to realize that your television is crap. (laughs) I was playing the PS3 on a 28-inch tube TV for a long time this year because prices finally got reasonable when all the stores looked around and said, wow, we bought all this inventory for Christmas, and then everybody got broke and nobody bought any, and so they started giving it away at fire sale prices. Sure. I am now the proud owner of a 42-inch 1080p LCD television. And even on that beast, there are sequences in this game where the sense of scale is so vast that Kratos winds up being less than an inch tall on the screen. (laughs) You basically have to have a 70, 80-inch screen to really, really do this game justice. So as soon as you put it in, you're just going to realize that you're staring at this tiny little window on the world and it's no good anymore. Which leads directly into reason number two. Uh, You're going to discover that your speakers are poop. Okay, very good. God of War 3 features one of the most dynamically ranged soundtracks that has probably ever been put on a video game. You have a full orchestra. You have what sounds like hundreds singing every other verse. (laughs) You have sound effects that have been lovingly and handcraftingly detailed to capture every single squish of flesh, every single snap of a break of a bone, every single clatter as your swords hit the ground for the millionth time. And there is just not a set of speakers in the world that's going to do it justice. Even if you have a full 5.1 surround setup, you're just going to bump up against the limitations of it, no matter what brand of speakers you have. I see. And all of this panoply of audiovisual excellence leads us to the third reason why nobody who owns a PS3 should buy this game. You will never, ever be able to go back and play any action game that you currently own again and really enjoy it as much. (laughs) The gameplay has been refined to the absolute pinnacle of of what you can expect for the series. There's been no real radical revolutions in the gameplay, which actually might be considered point number four. It's basically the same game that it was for the last two iterations. Now, the last two iterations were 
solid, really good action games that many people were pointing to as an example of how action games should be done. You know, the, the, basically these were the textbooks. You know, other generations of, of game programmers should learn from this example. That trend absolutely continues in God of War 3. The controls are as smooth as butter. The, the big complaint about God of War 2 was that you had to go back to the start menu whenever you wanted to toggle between one of your sub-weapons. Mm. Uh, all the sub-weapons are now accessible off the cross buttons now, so you can get to them easily. And the magic, the magic powers that you gain over the course of the game are all tied to the various weapons, so you're not losing any functionality there. The combat system has been honed to absolute perfection. It's just exactly as challenging as it should be based on what difficulty level you've selected. And all of this really adds up to point number five. The story of Kratos concludes so satisfactorily that there's basically no room for a sequel. Well, that's good for a trilogy to sort of end at three. You would think. I mean, certainly George Lucas experimented with expanding on that and to varying degrees of success. Right. So, hey, but, this just in, Tupayar. Dante's Inferno, new in box, $2. <laughs> Everything else yeah, is Dante, poo, I guess. Well, th- you know, there's a reason that they tried to get Dante and Bayonetta both out the door as quickly as possible in the beginning of this year, because they knew that as soon as God of War 3 came out, that's what everybody was going to be going for. Sure, sure. And, you know, truthfully... All joking aside, it is unusual for me to pay $60 for a game on the day that it's released. I can count without running out of fingers the number of times I've done it ever. Mm-hmm. This is one of the few exceptions of that. And realistically, honestly, it is probably the best $60 I've spent in recent memory. Great! Other than that, I've been playing a few things lately. Uh, the other nice thing about the Christmas season ending is all the games that were rushed out for the holiday season and weren't really necessarily A-list titles all quietly, quickly get discounted. So you can pick up things like Brutal Legend for 30 bucks if you shop around. This is one you're probably going to want to give a demo of before you buy. The only tricky part there is that the demo that you can download from the PSN is only going to give you insight into the RTS aspect of the game. It doesn't really go into the storyline very much. It doesn't go into the the third-person action very much. So really the best approach you've got is to find someone that's already bought the game and go visit them and play it for a couple hours and see if it's your speed. We had a big review of that, and we talked games nine, Passion of the Pixels. So both of uh, two two people ganged up on giving differing reviews of that title. If you're a really big fan of Tim Schafer, who actually inserts himself as a character into the game, fun little Easter egg for you there. Or if you're just a fan of heavy metal music in general, I mean, really, if you're a heavy metal fan, this is almost a must-have because the soundtrack features a whopping 108 different tracks. Mm-hmm. And some of the game's side missions actually has you uh, raising what the game calls a uh, mouth of metal, which allows you to then a- unlock additional songs. It starts out with about 30 songs in the soundtrack, and you can unload the full 108 as you progress throughout the game. Right on. What else we got? Anything? Along the musical theme here, picked up a copy of Guitar Hero 5, again for about 30 bucks. Mm. With the guitar or without? In this case, it was 30 bucks without the guitar. Okay, very good. Guitar Hero 5's most innovative feature in terms of gameplay, the ability to have any combination of Guitar Hero instruments in play at any given moment. Mm-hmm. If you want to have all four people in your band playing the guitar, you can do that. If you want to have four singers fighting to try to harmonize, you can do that. If you want to have every four people imitating animal and rocking out on the drums, you can do that too. 
Right on. Guitar Hero 5 is a good maturation for the series. The track list is absolutely excellent. It's the first entry in the series that really taps into one of Rock Band's strengths, which is the ability to use DLC from previous iterations of the game. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really nice about it is that the visuals have finally advanced to the point where they're starting to take advantage of what the PlayStation 3 is capable of. It's sort of reality turned up one or two notches rather than just something that's completely fantasy. The focus here in terms of the innovations is really on multiplayer. You can have people drop in and out of any given song at any given time. There's a party mode where you don't have to worry about any of the unlocks. You just sort of start playing songs you can pick the next song if you want you can just let it pick for you if you don't want you can put playlists together and the way that you unlock songs rather than doing what you usually had what you previously had to do of going through each stage and beating all of those songs then unlocking the next stage you accumulate a certain number of stars every time you do one of the songs Mm -hmm. and as you get more stars it unlocks more options so you can totally avoid songs that you just absolutely don't like you only have to play about four maybe five songs from each venue to unlock the next batch right right i've always preferred the guitar hero animation and the the characters of guitar hero over the rock band uh, until rock band beatles came out then they really took a lot of time and a lot of extra care and a lot of extra work into a fairly short game so i was very excited for guitar hero 5 i thought they got it right this time it's just that you know as everyone burned out on this uh, franchise by this time. I really enjoy it. And as soon as those prices drop on this title, I I expect that it'll sell through a lot more. Yeah, this is definitely one that I think is going to have a a life in the bargain bin. One note of concern, though, for people that are picking up these titles used, I had actually got a world tour new at the uh, Death of Circuit City sale. But when you input the code to download the Unlock songs, there's a part in the license agreement where it says that it's non-transferable. So if you're picking up one of these games used, it's probably a reasonable expectation that whoever you're buying it from has already unlocked the download and you're not going to be able to do that. Right, right. And I don't know if they plan to address that in the future. I mean, certainly most publishers prefer to just sort of pretend that the secondary market doesn't exist. (laughs) And certainly this would be one sort of sneaky back-channel way of encouraging people to get the game new rather than used. So just be aware of that going forward. And that is the second title of that nature that we've heard about on today's show. All right, man. Great stuff. Hey, Tupayar, great to hear from you. I'll see you on the social media We Talk Games audio fanzine monthly magazine talk show blogosphere thing. It's the only place to be if you talk games. Right. I can't wait for the bumper sticker with that on it. See you, man. Take care, man. Bye. Get more reviews and observations from 2PiR at 2PiR.LiveJournal.com. That's T-W-O-P-I-E-A-R-R. Who's up next, Keith? Eric Alex. All right, open it up. Madison, Wisconsin. Eric Alex, welcome back to We Talk Games. Hey, Wiggly. How you doing? Yo, man, I see you on the new We Talk Games social media site. That's right. You're almost on there. That's going to be great. Getting close, anyways. Yes. It's like, you know, you do like two clicks, and you can log in with your Facebook account or Twitter or whatever. So it's amazing how easy it is to become the We Talk Games Video Power Magazine audio fanzine. There you go. That's the official title, I think. That's a, it's a little long. You should work on that. Well, you know how WECAC flipkies is. That's, that's the way that they like it. <laughs> you could just use the acronym. Right on. Yes, which I haven't thought of yet, so it's not prepared. Well, what do we got for this month? Well, I've been playing a couple of Xbox Live Arcade games. Okay. 
Greed Corp and uh, Toy Soldiers. Okay, and I think I mentioned Greed Corp a little bit uh, last month. I, I mean, very short review, uh, mining, hexagonal, yeah. and shooting firecrackers at people. Yep, it's a, uh, it's a board game. That's and what it is. It is. It's, it's got some interesting mechanics to it. Uh, there's no luck to it at all. It's just numbers, your number of dudes against their number of dudes. But you move around on the hex field. And it's got some interesting mechanics where the, the hex field goes away as you harvest from it. Right. And yeah. there's some social commentary in there, too. Oh, uh, yes. You know, we're pillaging the world of all its resources until we're just a couple of people left on an island floating in the sky. And then it will eventually all crumble into the void. Yeah, and everybody dies. <laughs> Uh, it's it's kind of depressing for a whimsical board game, but it's kind of fun. There's some issues with the game. Okay. The AI is pretty bad in a lot of cases. The AI enemies will sequester themselves on a small island and slowly kill themselves with their harvesters. <laughs> and then if you're looking for other players online, there's never anyone on multiplayer. Mm. Apparently, I'm the only person that ever bought this game. I think that the demo frightened a lot of people off because the demo is so on rails, so on point about what you should be doing yeah. without really explaining why you're doing right. it. You know, there's some interesting math going on there. This is a game that will appeal to a certain kind of player. People that are into newfangled board games like Settlers of Catan might get a kick out of this. I see. But I think it's best, actually, if you can get three other people together on your couch and play it face-to-face, because you're not going to find anyone online. It's kind of a niche title, and it might not be for everybody. It's sort of like Rampart XLLLLLL. Yeah, except turn-based without that weird Tetris thing going on. (laughs) Right, no Tetris. And no Rollerball. Yeah, and and no guillotine at the end. Oh, boy, I made the mistake of picking up the Rampart for my PlayStation. You know, it's been teasing me since it's available in the PlayStation Store since the release of the PlayStation 3. And it's just been teasing me and teasing me. And I'm like, no, it, there's no demo of it. I'm like, no, it's just going to be some hack job of the original arcade game. And I'm going to be trying to play it with my PlayStation controller instead of a rollerball. I'm going to be disappointed. Yep. Now the links, it was great. I don't know why it was so good on the links, and especially two player on the links. You had a link? Of course, I still I still play two player link stuff all the time with uh, with Chiz and wow. my buddies come over. There's a lot of great two player links links games like Robo Squash and of course Rampart is the number one game played on the links, and it, it plays so so well. But it's just so lousy on the place with on the PlayStation <laughs> because. I don't know what it is about it. Just the way that you're trying to shoot your cannons, you don't really feel in control. It's piecemeal and it's sad, but uh, yeah. I mean, you you don't need the rollerball to play Rampart. I mean, the Super Nintendo version was okay. It was on Super Nintendo, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where I played it the most. Yeah, that, that was a very good version as well. Yeah, I mean, you don't need the rollerball, but it does lose something without that thing. Yeah, the rollerball is awesome, let's face it. Any any game that came out with a rollerball, if you've been playing it since then, even if they made like a 2000 version or something like that, when you go back and play the original with the rollerball, it's like, man, this game is great. You know, Missile Command, you can't do it without the the rollerball. All the other great ones, like Millipede and stuff like that, 
And, oh yeah, uh, they're just so good with the rollerball, especially. Well, you can't really play the the bowling games without that. But thankfully, no one's really released any of those rollerball bowling games without the rollerball. So yeah. So is that it for Greek Corp? It's it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like a new new modern type of uh, board game, but uh, it is. It does some things that a board game can't do. And because it's you know on your on your TV and the, the the board can change as you go through it and that's interesting. But like I said, if you're not into board games and you don't have other people to play this against, I'd give it a pass. Right on, man. What else we got? Well, I've been playing another uh, Xbox Live Arcade title called Toy Soldiers. For an Xbox Live Arcade game, the graphics are really pretty, and maybe it's just that the uh, the aesthetic is so interesting. I mean, first of all, you don't play a lot of World War One games. But the game is you're playing as the commander of toy soldiers uh, in a World War One diorama in wow. some little kid's bedroom. So when you're down in the first-person view, you're firing your machine gun. If you look up to the top left of the screen, you'll see, you know, like a desk lamp over the place. <laughs> it's really cool. The game is uh, it's basically one of those tower defense games like you'll play on a Flash game somewhere. Okay, hmm. But it's got a little more to it. You can go in and take control of your towers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so you'll have machine guns or you'll have mortars or artillery. And they all control a little bit differently. You go in there and they become more powerful and more accurate if you're directly controlling them. But you don't have to control them if you don't want to. You can just build them along the path and, and the enemies will rush you. And speaking have of enemies, who, yeah. so who, who are you fighting here? It's World War One. You're fighting the, uh, the Germans, the Prussians, I guess. Yeah, I see, I see. Bismarck and all that. And Very they cool. have some, some whimsical enemies in there. Some of the bosses are straight out of fantasy, like there's a giant zeppelin that attacks you in one level, and there's a, a huge, they call it a Tsar tank, and I think they might have built one or two of these things, but it's like the size of a city block. I don't know if they ever actually fielded this in, in, in war, but it's it's enormous. It's two big wheels with a cannon emplacement on it. it it's crazy. And, and is there, you have to pound that thing to take it out. Are there biplanes and things like this? Yeah, and that's kind of a, one of the few drawbacks to the game. There's in the later, sort of the middle levels of the campaign, you get to play some vehicle levels. I mean, you still have the tower defense thing going on, but you get to take control of biplanes or tanks. And the biplanes are okay. They don't control as well as, like, a flight sim would. Sure. But, uh, I mean, you can't you can't even flip these things over. <laughs> you can't, like, do a loop. Oh, okay. Uh, the playing field is pretty small, actually. I mean, you're in a World War One diorama, and if you fly, try to fly out of the diorama into the little boy's room, it turns you around and says you're out of bounds. Gotcha, gotcha. But it's easy to overlook. The, the real issue is that tanks are just boring to play. <laughs> and they make fun of the tanks in the cut scenes or the cut screens, I should say. They'll say things like the massive tanks moving at a blazing four miles an hour or sure. terror to the enemy. The problem is, is that they really do move at about four miles an hour. <laughs> So, I mean, they're they're very powerful, and on the levels where you get a tank, you should use the tank, but they're very dull to play as, I sure, think. Sure, But on the whole, I mean, that's it's easy to overlook. There's a lot going on in this game. There's, there's hidden stuff to blow up. There's lots of little bonus missions to unlock trophies. It's a lot of fun. I really got to recommend this game. 
Do you think that over the course of years we will eventually see toy soldiers modern warfare? <laughs> you know, I, I hope not, because I think it would really lose something. Yes. It takes uh, place outside in the little kid's sandbox or something. Yeah, yeah. It would be just kind of depressing. <laughs> I, mean, the, I think World War One is now so long ago yeah. that you can look at it as almost a fantasy setting. Sure, sure. I mean, I mean, when was that? It was the, it was the teens, right? Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah like uh, 1918, 1920. Yeah, sure. so almost 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah. The oh, now I feel old. Jeez. <laughs> Just yesterday, it was World War One, and now all of a sudden, I'm 100 years old. This is great. <laughs> the, uh, there's one thing that's kind of creepy about the game is one of the gun emplacements you can build is a uh, chlorine gas spewer. Oh, my. Which... Yeah, it's very effective against infantry, as you'd expect, but you feel a little creepy taking control of that thing and spewing this green poison all over the battlefield. This sounds like a really neat uh, title. I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah, I got to recommend this one. And hey, Wiggly, well, I got you. I got an addendum to the Mega Council. Okay. Taking a page out of Kyle Von Kubik's book with the addendum here. Sure. When we were talking about the Xbox doing too much or the PlayStation 3 doing too much. Right. And I said, well, I know it plays DVDs, but I have a DVD player and I just use that. Uh-huh. Well, my DVD player broke. It died. <laughs> okay. And now I'm using the Xbox as my DVD player. So <laughs> there you go. Very good. Very good. Well, now you should get the PlayStation 3 because it does it all, you know. Well, thing. yeah, I'm, I'm getting into the uh, HDTV soon, I hope. Okay, there uh, you go. So... I yeah. don't have one yet. I still have a I still have a standard definition. Oh, okay. When I get that, you know, a PlayStation Three, it's got the uh, the Blu-ray player. That yeah. might be uh, might be worth getting. And then you can I imagine, like all of us are that own the PS3, we're imagining name things. Yeah, Eric, Alex, it's always a delight to talk to you. I'll see you on the We Talk Games Video Power Magazine Audio Fanzine Social Thanks. Networking Boards. All right. Definitely need to shorten that. Okay, I'm working on it. See you now. Bye. Bye. Holy mackerel, we have a lot of correspondence on today's show. Hey, uh, let's go back across the pond. Let's go back to Enniscarthy. Let's go back to Johnny Capcom. Enniscarthy, go! John. Um, Yes. John. Yes. John. That's What's me. going on, man? Dude, uh, the, the, the new social networking We Talk Games video power magazine fanzine audio blog site has yes. just been amazing, number one. Number two, just been so busy trying to get this thing together. I mean, can you believe it? Like earlier today, I, I forgot. I, I'm almost I'm almost 60 days past on getting my photo driver's license. Taken. I only have 60 days. So I'm like on day 59. I have to go there. And I have to eat my, 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 my photo driver's license has a picture of me eating a hoagie and pierogies. Well, I, I don't believe the uh, injustice that you have to go through. But, uh, I mean, in Europe, you're barely allowed to be in a driver's license photo. They don't want you to blink. They don't want you to be alive, basically. They just want you to look. If you can look as much like a corpse as possible, then that's the way they want it. I see, I see. Hey, what do you got for us this month? Well, some old stuff, some new stuff, some that's like stuff hear. that's like breaking boundaries. Future stuff, stuff that hasn't yeah. come out yet. Yeah, I mean, well, I gotta ask you: you never like listening to some music in your iPod, perhaps like a Seal album, or uh, maybe you have an iPhone and you're talking to someone and you think, "I wish this conversation or this Seal record was <laughs> God of War." 
I get a little crazy with my conversation sometimes, yes. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't have to worry about that anymore because you got the hero of Sparta, which is basically God of War for the iPod. This game, it's been out a while, made by Gameloft, and you know those guys, they do all kinds of great crap for your your iPod and such. And uh, it's only, it cost me about like a €1.59, which I'm guessing is about a dollar or $2. It's God of War on the iPod. I mean, the story is you're a Spartan warrior who's tasked with deicide, basically, because it's good for Sparta or something like that. It's not too important. You have to go to the underworld. There's giant bosses. You fight a giant cyclops. That's the entire scene. And you're like a little guy. And I mean, like you're, pay- you're playing a fully 3D action adventure game in the style of God of War. Full of gore. Full of quick time kills. The music is awesome. And you're playing on your freaking iPod, you know? Hmm. I find this hard to believe. Well, go demo it. Just, I, mean, I honestly, I saw videos of it working, yeah. and uh, I, it had all these three D polygon graphics that didn't look really crappy and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought to myself, too good to be true, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I thought this is going to be like a laser disc game where I'm not going to interact with right. it. Right. Not at all. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm telling you, go try it. The next thing you'll tell me is that Street Fighter Four came out for the iPhone. Oh, uh, that'll never happen. <laughs> I've been playing it in the background oh, underneath some of our guests today ever since Jaden mentioned it earlier. I'll Is tell it you any about good? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Well, here's the thing. Now, you can only play two player via Bluetooth. Oh, but okay. it's really interesting that I mentioned my Turbo Express because the characters are about the same size as the characters were on the Turbo Express. The backgrounds are full watercolor paintings. They don't move. They don't have any movement, but they look great. You don't notice that there's no movement back there while you're playing because you're so engrossed in in the fight. The controls really are spot on. You you only have the A and B button or punch and kick button plus a special button and you have a fierce button, uh, as Jane mentioned. But the control is really, really there. I was so surprised. And the characters are... Based on the 3D polygon fighters. From Street Fighter 4? From Street Fighter 4. But they are presented in full static 2D fighting style. Just like the right. original Street Fighter. So your characters don't get larger or smaller. They don't, it doesn't, the camera doesn't zoom around. It's, so it's, it's not hard to fight in 4. It's it's just amazing. It's it's just it's it's straight up Street Fighter. Plus, you know, you got Dalzim, you got uh, you have Ryu, Ken, Chung Li. You have a lot of the newer characters as well. And there's also some special moves that you do where it does cut to a 3D zoom and pan. What has now been turned quick time, as you mentioned, quick time sort of events where your character does more super types of moves and then it, it plays itself out on the 2D screen. So I'm really shocked by it. So now I really have to pick up this Heroes of Sparta too. I got to tell you, Apple's going to be getting some of my loot this episode of the We Talk Games. Those games live and die on their controls, you know? Sure. And I think when you've got games like Hero Sparta and from what you're telling me, Street Fighter 4, these guys are building your modern console level style of game, you know, and they manage to make it work with no physical controls. And that's amazing. I never thought it was going to get to this level of game. I mean, with the Final Fantasies coming out and everything else. This really is turning into a gaming device. Well, it's not like I ever said that this will never happen. I just said we aren't there yet. And now it looks like we are We are definitely on that horizon of gaming console-type 
capabilities on this iPhone. So I welcome it. I welcome it. the fact that I can look up a pizza joint while I'm playing a game. I can pop out, call it, and order a hoagie that I can eat while I get my driver's license picture taken. So I think that's really, truly amazing, and I'm happy to see it all come together like that. What else we got? Well, taking inspiration from last month's episode, I started to play Devil's Crush. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's my favorite game of all time. I gotta, I gotta be realistic about this. It really is. I played that game nearly to death. Nearly, I nearly died. I played it that long. Wow. <laughs> I'd never really heard too much of the show. You know, I know you, you had a lot of conviction in your voice about it, and I figured I gotta see it. And I looked at a video on YouTube, and it just appealed to me like satanic pinball. You know. Yes. What's really awesome about it is the physics of the pinball are more or less perfect in this title. It really is a perfect title. For what it's going for, it hits everything. The aesthetics of it, I um, I love like heavy metal kind of uh, aesthetics, you know, where it's like Iron Maiden album cover with all the devil crap on it and all. <laughs> Eddie, yeah. yeah. And this is it, like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the first moment where you come in and you hit the lizard woman mm-hmm. yeah. in the face. And when, like, it genuinely freaked me out when, uh, you know, when she opens her eyes and you see she has her little fangs and stuff. Yes. And I was like, whoa, you know, it was it was amazing. Yeah. And then, you, you know, she's basically Tulsa Doom. You turn her from a human into a snake and then you go up to the top of the table and there's all the druids and stuff. Yes. The bonus stages are awesome. There's actually things in it that I hate, mm. like not hate in that, like not because of the gameplay, you but like, dread. you know, that's, yeah. you know, that skeleton that laughs at you. Sure. I just want to hurt him. <laughs> you know? But, uh, I definitely, if I'm on the uh, devil's crush train at the moment, I think if anyone was kind of like, Oh, that sounds pretty good. Definitely try it. And it was like, it was 800 points. And as I said, it nearly killed me. I lost water. I was dehydrated. I wasn't eating properly because I just be up all night playing the crap out of it it's amazing that is honestly a game that i know in and in i mean i know that table so well as if it was as if, as if it is really a table and it is it's it really exists in, inside of that game world but yes i i love that table there's nothing i would change about that game and that's why the other iterations of it i wasn't too crazy about the genesis was a little stretched out a little bit weird i like some of the bonus levels but i don't really go back to that as much as i go back to the original devil's crush for the uh, turbo graphics or the pc engine of course dr devil's crush on the mega drive <laughs> right <laughs> uh, the third game still funny playing. this month still funny <laughs> yes what else you got the castlevania the adventure rebirth mm. it just kind of came out here in the last couple of weeks um, okay it was weird i found out about it through print it's not often that you get your news of release through print but <laughs> i did of course i gave a small review of it but i guess it wasn't out in the uk Oh, no, it wasn't. I, like, it was out in Japan Halloween last year. Right. And I was thinking, well, I guess Konami hate money because they're not <laughs> releasing it in the proper day, you know? Now, I think- am I right that it's sort of an arcade version of the 8-bit NES game? Oh, certainly. It's yeah, uh, certainly. Black Tiger Edition, right. you know, 1980s arcade level graphics and uh you know kind of smoothed over look to everything not many animations when it comes to is it simon simon the belmont in this i think it's one of those fellas i think we could just call him simon okay well simon uh richter whatever <laughs> you know he just kind of he has a little walk that he does he looks a bit like robocop when he does this right right 
Uh, he jumps. That's about it. Yep. He crouches. He's got like four animations, and then you put in the whip swinging and whatever. <laughs> but the levels themselves look really cool. Mm, definitely. Uh, and they're kind of like they're retro, but the backgrounds and all that could fit into the new Castlevania titles as well. You know? Yes. And uh, the music is brilliant, but I mean, that's kind of a given with Castlevania. You either like Castlevania or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you like your Castlevanias, go out and get it because it's another just fun Castlevania title. One thing I will say, though, maybe you'll agree with me, it is a little bit easy. We both were asking for a Wii version of our DS games and the Game Boy Advance games. And we didn't get that. We didn't get that. We got more of a look back on the births, the birth. Well, it's a good name for it, Rebirth, I guess, because it's, it's sort of like the those first few years of the Castlevania series done in a more 16-bit Super Nintendo graphic style, I think. so. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no, it's just, it's just I still can't wait until we get our Nintendo DS, our Nintendo Game Boy Advance versions souped up and put on the Wii or the next-gen console and in a full 16x9 environment as well. I think the Wii is the console to do that on as well, like, you know, because, I mean, we're going to get, was it Lords of Shadow or whatever it is, you know, the big 3D one? I think that's where it will find its biggest audience, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? But, I mean, that's going to be on the big powerhouse systems. Right, right. So, I think the way to go is, I mean, the Wii is obviously able to give you really nice 2D graphics. Yeah. So, why not just kind of get another audience in there and just kind of try out a big kind of... You know, kind of like uh, Aria of Sorrow or whatever style game on, on the Wii, which would be awesome because, I mean, the control is really nice, you know, when you're mm-hmm. using, like, classic NES-style control. Yeah, if you think of Wario Shake, Wario Shake with the Castlevania characters on exactly. it. Exactly, how hard They could, could do it, yeah. They could do it. Nintendo need to <laughs> hire us. Sorry, I was <laughs> Stinky! Ah, oh, you're blowing that horn again, huh? <laughs> nice. Yeah, having a party over there by himself. That's the first time I've ever done it, though. Hey, that's okay. What else we got? Basically, uh, there's two more games that I had been playing the last while. The first is Sensible, Sensible World of Soccer. Fantastic. Now, the Sensible series is not as popular in the States. When we got a few, maybe we got two Sensible Soccer games that maintain that name. I think. I could be wrong, but yeah, that's all I can uh, remember. We didn't get many ones that still maintain the Sensible brand. But, it was uh, on a lot of systems here back in the day, you know? Sure, definitely. I mean, that, I remember reading about that in my UK magazines all the time. You know, the new Sensible Soccer is going to be coming out, the, the new football games and stuff like that. There's a lot of charm to these games. Your little guys are all... And this is on the 360, you know, I, I got okay. it on Live Arcade. Very good. And uh, I think it was only like 500 points, which is a steal, like, you know? Maybe. I don't know what that equals. So uh, I think it was about five euro, but I'd pay that. You know? Very good. There's a lot of charm to that game because I mean, you're n- it is as far from FIFA. You know, you're, every um, little guy is just a little approximation, basically, of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it's top down, kind of like Italian ninety. But like, if Italian ninety was an incredibly well made game, then this is what Sensible Soccer is. You know, for people who aren't familiar. But uh, one of the things I love about Sensible Soccer, and it's something I love about all sports games that aren't fully officially licensed, I love putting up names to sound like the real names. Oh, gotcha. I love playing any game where it's just like, again, a close approximation of someone's real name. Yes. And I, I, I dig that a lot. Like and Instead I mean, of Pele, they had Pay Less. Yes, exactly. Okay. And uh, I just, 
I, I love that kind of thing. There's a lot of kind of... It reminds me back when you couldn't get a license for a video game. Right, know? right, sure. Yeah, of course. Really fun. I mean, you know yourself, the series, I mean, like, the gameplay is just excellent, like, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not very good at it. That's the only thing I can say against it. The computer constantly whoops me. And I haven't actually played against a human opponent yet, okay. but I'm sure when I do, they'll put me in the grave. <laughs> My last game that I've been playing is an oldie by uh, current standards, I guess, and that's the first Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Revisiting and, uh, that, okay. Yeah, I just picked it up a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty cheap. It was about like 10 euros. I figured I couldn't lose, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's a good story, good characters. Um, everyone's in it, more or less. Like, you know, there's no one you're left kind of wanting for. Again, just a good game. I wouldn't go and say it's the best game I've ever played, but I certainly would just say if you're wanting a good superhero game, go get it. And it does have the most satisfying attack in the history of games. For all you people who felt burned by Captain America and the Avengers on the Mega Drive, (laughs) there is no greater pleasure in this game than running into a room full of like 15 people and just firing Captain America's shield at them. And taking out like seven people, and it's just—it is so much fun doing that. That should be the whole game, in my opinion. Yeah, kind of like discs of Tron with Captain America. <laughs> that oh, I listen. I, not to take away from Marvel Ultimate Alliance, uh, but if there could ever be somehow some sort of faithful recreation of discs of Tron, I don't know how they would do it, considering the intricate control mechanism that discs of Tron had. Uh, it had a spinner knob that had like three levels to it that you can pull the spinner knob up and down as you're spinning it. And then it had a crazy joystick that you're grabbing with triggers and buttons and everything all over the place. If, the, <laughs> if somehow they can make this happen on a home console, I I just, uh, I'd pay any price. Well, i pay pretty much. If they're willing to bring out a, a custom virtual on controller, why not bring out a custom Discs of Tron <laughs> thingamajigger? Because it would only work with that game. And perhaps you could use the, the regular the joystick with the, the regular Tron game as well. But that's so about it. Why couldn't it. there be like a... I'm sure people like with their achievements and all, there'd be like a challenge series where you have to play Halo with it or something. Ah, yes. Because I remember... Uh, friend of mine and uh he the guy who makes the uh, we talk games videos on youtube kinetic right. card yeah he, he uh got god of war one day and played it with a guitar hero controller <laughs> and uh, he wanted to see how long he could go and apparently he can play it pretty well but you know it's wow. a hell of a challenge wow well that's fret nice with uh god of war very good hey man uh stay on the line we're gonna bring the council on soon cool okay see ya see you later Bye. Eight down, one more to go. You know what, Keith? Let's get Jasoni in here for our achievements segment, and then we'll go home with the council. This will be great. Open it up. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Jasonia with the focus on achievements. What do you got for us this week, Jasonia? Well, Wiggly, I have three different things to talk about. First, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Touching back on our pinball from last month, which was a fantastic show as usual. There's one question I was hoping that would be answered. That is... In the song by The Who called Pinball Wizard, where they talk about Tommy having crazy flipper fingers. Yes. How did he get these flipper fingers? Is he half dolphin? And how does that help you exactly play pinball? I was always been confused on, on how having flipper fingers uh-huh. makes you better pinball player. You see, you've, you've become hung up on what we call in the literary business a homonym. Words that sound alike but mean different things because okay. the flipper fingers are re- referring to the flippers of the pinball machine. 
So his fingers are tickling the flippers of the machine, becoming one with the machine, not as playing with dolphin fins. So he's not half dolphin, is what you're telling me. He is not. He is half some type of sheep dog or something, some, some sort of sheep, long-haired sheep of some sort, but definitely not part dolphin. Wow, you have just blown my mind. Now I don't know what to think about anything anymore. Down is up, left is right. I'm confused. What are our three great uh, achievement focuses? Yes, back to the point I'm on the phone, I guess. The first game I wanted to talk about was Bioshock 2. Now, last time on the pinball episode, I alluded to the multiplayer aspect of this, but I didn't get to bookend this game, I would say, and get into the achievements. So... After finishing the game and playing through it on single player, I would have to say that this is, I still hold this as a very great game, and I think it's a lot of fun. Single player is about 10 to 15 hours. It's a pretty straight through story. I thought it was very enjoyable, and like I said last time, the multiplayer is fantastic. It's almost like two games put on the one disc with the multiplayer and single player. For the achievements, it's very easy and it's not time consuming which is very good in my opinion Mm -hmm. Uh, if you play through the story once on the hardest difficulty it's not even that difficult and you can get all the achievements in one playthrough because that's what i did so i know it's possible so i would say bioshock 2 it is a fantastic game if you're looking for achievements you can get an easy 1000 on it it's not the quickest game but it's certainly worth your time to play through okay very good second is a new game entirely to this topic which is score international baja 1000 it's a pretty standard atv motorbike trophy truck game a lot of these things i don't really know about but i picked it up i'm like hey racing game wonderful and it's very simple it's very fun actually there's like two buttons i think there's accelerate and then there's boost and then you drive around and maybe there's brakes too i don't know i never use them but it's actually a very fun game and it's very it's fun in its simplicity it looks pretty nice, and the soundtrack is actually very good. So it's actually quite a surprising game, and it's relatively cheap these days because it's a little older. I see. For the achievement side, it's an easy 1,000, I would say. It's maybe a 25-hour game, and nothing is too terribly difficult, but the things that are tough are worth the time to play. Nothing really takes you out of the game and says, hey, you have to do something so out of the way that you just get bored by it. You get a lot of things just by playing through the career. I'd actually recommend it as just a cheap pickup, and then if you're looking for an easy 1,000 points on Xbox, it's a good pickup for that as well. Okay. Lastly, I wanted to jump back in time again, like I had a DeLorean, and talk about Borderlands, but this time, instead of the disc, since we've talked about it, there have been three DLC packs that have come out, and I just wanted to touch on them because they've been very unique in that they've scaled the distance of being very good and then possibly the worst dlc in history and that's maybe not my opinion but that's uh what the internet forums seem to say the three dlcs have come out have been called zombie island of dr ned mad moxie's underdome riot and the secret armory of general knox uh the first one zombie island is a relatively short i guess mini mission type of thing you play pretty linearly through the dlc it's fun it's a whole zombie land with different halloween themes and if you like borderlands it's kind of a fun extension but there isn't much you gain from doing it other than here's a whole new area to go to that one's okay mad moxie's underdome riot is that dlc which many people consider to be the worst 
thing in history. Uh, maybe because it's not cheap. I don't recall exactly the price, but it was either five or ten dollars or eight hundred points. And it essentially is you're placed in a an isolated arena where there's three different arenas, and then you just take on waves and waves of guys and, and enemies with no benefit to doing so. And it gets very boring after a while. And uh, I'll tell you that my friends and I played through this. It took three and a half hours per arena to get the achievements on it. And you get bored out of your mind after 10 minutes because there's no differentiation. And it's just the same thing over and over again. And there's really no reason to play it other than, hey, I like Borderlands. Look, here's something new. And then you realize you're just ripped off. Uh, the last DLC was the Secret Army of General Knox. This is the newest one to come out. This is more of a extension to the story in that you have a higher level cap now. There are different weapons, and it basically adds on to the story. So this one has been quite enjoyable. On the achievement side on all of these, they all come with their own achievements. They're all easy to get. They're all, I guess, if you buy the DLC, you shouldn't have trouble achieving the full point total on each so if you're a completionist you want all the points on borderlands yes you can get through all of them but if you're picking and choosing probably avoid underdome riot for the fun part and the achievement part but pick up secret armory and zombie island dr dead fantastic well great now all i need to do is go and buy borderlands yes you're (laughs) uh you're only a couple months behind and by the time you buy that borderlands 2 will be out and then you'll be behind again it's a it's a downward now, let me ask you this. I don't know if you've had much experience with this, Jasonia, but how about games that come out as a, as a greatest edition or the ultimate com- compilation when they already have the DLC included? Now, do they restructure the point system so that it still only goes up to 1,000, or have you seen that you get the uh, additional achievement points for the what was once DLC content, the extra content? Offhand, uh, Oblivion came out and it had a thousand points for the disc game, and they came out with some additional stuff, and then a game of the year edition. And when they put it all together as the complete package, it did have those additional points, so they didn't scale it back to one thousand. Okay, I, I think that's the general tactic that if it has the add-ons on the disc, you will get those additional points. Okay, very good. Hey, well, I look forward to hear from you next month. Thanks for joining us. We talk games. Well, thank you, Wiggly, and have a great month. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. All right, Keith, let's join the forces of the We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires. Open it up. We Talk Games. All right, John, you on? Yes, indeed. Okay, Kyle? Yes. Fantastic. Hey, welcome to the first ever We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires post-launch of the We Talk Games Audio Fanzine Social Networking Video Power Magazine Audio Fanzine Wow! Site thing that we still prettiest website in the world. Still haven't settled on a name for that. It's 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 coming along though. But do you see all the things you could do in here? There's a lot. Holy mackerel! There's great. You could sign in with some of your favorite signing (laughs) signing in things. Yeah, you don't even have to create account. It's just that easy. You you do like two clicks. You could sign in with your Twitter account, with your Facebook account, with your Windows Live ID that you use on your Xbox Live account. you You got to have at least one or two of these things already. Exactly. So why belabor you with creating another unique account or trying to remember another password? You just log right in with your social media networking ID. And you can join a news group that will update you on like the New World Order. Hey, guys, you know what my favorite gimmick is on the website? What's that? 
cropping my avatar. <laughs> I got oh, that. yeah. There was a while there when we were beta testing this while I was still working on a lot of the back code, and one of my JavaScripts was had halted the ability to crop your photo so everyone's picture was just an eyeball or the background of a room like a the part <laughs> of a door <laughs> because this giant photo would load in there after you uploaded the photo and you couldn't crop it so now the cropping tool is back in place speaking of favorite gimmicks and weirdnesses in games this this council question and council point was submitted by our own Kyle Von Kubik I'm sorry Weirdness in gaming, weird games, weird peripherals, and weird consoles. Now, if I had to start with any one of our We Talk Games Council of Video Game members, I would have to start with our weirdest one, Johnny Capcom. Thank you, sir. You do have a full beard, and you're and you're in your twenties, so that yes, makes you weird. True. Yeah. And, uh, Go ahead, weirdo. The, what do you got? Weirdest fact about me is the uh, anime of Shoko Asahara produced in the 90s looks exactly like me so if you want to go on to youtube and check that out i already did <laughs> i was i was typing in my my ipod google as you were saying it choco nakamasi yeah same guy anyway we were talking about weirdness i think things become very weird when you just kind of smush two things together and they end up as kind of hybrid of one thing and another and never quite work and now well i never really got hands-on with this uh, piece of odd, odd technology, and uh, I was going to bring it up before, but this is the Amstrad Mega PC. Aha! <laughs> Similar to the Terra Drive, I think, which was released in the um, United States, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, this was basically an Amstrad computer with a Mega Drive or Genesis, whatever you want to call it, shoved in there somewhere. I see. Now, did it have the weird type of keyboard on this, or what? what? Uh, it's the one I remember seeing had like a keyboard just separated from the the system. And it, what struck me about it immediately was I walked into my cousin's house, and there was a PC, and it had the standard kind of PC thing, except there was like a like a weird slot in the thing. And then I just saw a white Mega Drive or Genesis pad hanging out of it. I see. And I was just like, what? You know, who's ever seen a white Genesis pad, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, I, like, I couldn't get my head around it. And then I looked at it, and there was, like, a little slot for Mega Drive cartridges in the modem thing itself. <laughs> wow. And uh, I, I don't know what happened to it. I never got to see it on. But I've seen videos of people using them, and apparently they're quite a, quite a collector's item at the moment. But it's just, I don't know what either company were thinking. The system still has kind of a majestic quality to it myself just because pcs of that era and computers like that of that era to me were what wealthier people than i owned you know Mm -hmm. and the idea of having a a computer that had a freaking mega drive attached to it just entranced me i wonder if amazing i wonder if it somehow tied in like the z80 processor or something was was also used by the PC as well, like as a sound chip or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was the Genesis the Mega Drive. It was uh, the power base converter. It's the power base converter for the Sega Genesis was more or less just a passive interface that you would put your Sega Master System cartridges or cards or even glasses could plug into this, and it would just bypass the main 68K processor, and you would just be hitting like the Mega Drive sound chip and I think one of its graphics chips as well but the actual power base converter just contains some capacitors and and bypasses 
One thing I can't say is whether or not Amstrad and Sega released a series of advertisements talking about how much better the Amstrad Mega PC was than the dusty old IBM or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You know, with a race car driving over one or something. Sure. Sure. I say that. Is this when it was competing against Sinclair? or I mean, what did Sinclair do to answer this? Well, I can't honestly tell you. Sinclair might have been in the toilet after that weird bike car thing. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) It was was it the Sinclair cluster. Well, Well, I won't finish that. It was an an electric car, but it was like a a bicycle, I guess. A motorcycle. Yeah, it was like a a bean that you drove yes. and that you could, it came with a raincoat that you could strap around your face right. just in case it got too wet. And it came with yeah. one of those weird all in one integrated rubber keyboards. Yeah, it probably did. Yeah. With a nice little rainbow thing going down. Inside. I don't know what you're pressing. And you could play jet set Willie on it. There you go. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. You know, you, you could also play terrible transport. <laughs> <laughs> that game built in. Wow. So that's the weirdest thing you got, was a PC with a Genesis built in? Well, no, I, I've got some other stuff. There's a game I don't know if you've ever heard of called uh, Takeshi no Chosenjo. Basically, um, are either of you familiar with the actor Takeshi Kitano? No. And not intimately. Have you either seen um, Battle Royale? No. Oh, All right, then. Sorry. Takeshi Kitano is a pretty famous Asian film star. He's from Japan. Well, Battle Royale, he was in that movie. He was also in Satoichi. Uh, he played Zatoichi in the most recent Zatoichi Zatu- movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he basically, Takeshi Kitano is, he does whatever he likes. And he designed Takeshi no Chisenjo, personally designed pretty much all of it, while hammered, like, out of his mind. Okay. <laughs> and uh, basically, you play as him, go to uh, a karaoke bar at one point, and punch some women. And oh. then you have to sing karaoke pitch perfectly. And if you don't, if you seriously, if you don't get everything pitched perfectly, you fail every time. And then an old man gives you a scroll and it says you can either do nothing with it or expose it to the sun for an hour. <laughs> and basically what happens when you choose expose it to the sun for an hour is a blue screen comes up on your uh, Famicom because obviously this didn't make it out of Japan. And it, yeah, and if you touch a button before an hour has passed, the game resets. <laughs> and after an hour of uh, exposing to the sun, there's a map, and then you go hang gliding, and then that's it. Uh, and um, it sounds old. like an awesome game. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, basically, once you beat the game, a black screen comes up and it just says "game over." <laughs> and on Game Center CX, uh, Arino, who was playing through the game, yeah. he said, "There's a." There's a secret ending to this game if you uh, wait for 7 minutes 35 seconds <laughs> and sure, on the game over screen. And sure enough, when you wait for that amount of time, uh, a line of dialogue comes up and it says, seriously, you're taking this game way too hard or something like that. <laughs> Stop wow. taking life so seriously. And that's it. Wow. That is it has, pretty weird. It is. I don't. Uh, again, Takeshi Kitano, he designed that game while absolutely just gone out of his head. I see. It, that, it's very reminiscent of the Penn and Teller game for the Sega CD, which was a two-disc set that was never released, and that had a section where you drive in the desert. Uh, you drive for eight hours across the desert, and then you earn one point. 
Exactly, and it's a straight straight drive, you know, through the desert. The problem is, is that the the there's bus a, that you're driving, a slight bear to the left. Exactly. Yes. So, so you can't just tape the buttons down on your Genesis controller to make it drive all the way there by itself. But there's also some other really neat things. With the rest of the game is all about tricking your friends. So you set up the game in advance, but since there's really no one with instructions. No one knows how these gimmicks were supposed to work. But you right. set you set up like mind reading tricks and stuff like that with your friends, and then you force them to pick a card or you force them to do something. And then by different button presses that they don't see, Penn and Teller will answer that trick exactly of what they were thinking and or what card they had and stuff like that. So it's kind of neat. And you can't get that. You can find those uh, ROMs around, uh, but sure. uh, but without knowing how to play it, you're going to be in trouble. Lou Reed's in that one as well, isn't he? That I've seen I, the trailer. Uh, is that right? I don't recall. I don't know about it's that. It's been a while yeah, since I played it. So why there's a trailer? I think when you walk up to Lou Reed in the street, and then like a video, of Lou Reed comes up and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> Lou Reed." Wow. <laughs> That's I cool. I don't recall that, but I will I will have to I I know I have that like on my PSP or something so I have to pop that in and, and look for Lou Reed. You might have you to know what was weird? Lou I'm Reed. Sorry. Yeah, Lou Reed is pretty weird. But you know what else is weird? What's that? I was just doing a break in, so I ah, know. gotcha. Yeah. Bananas are kind of weird. Yes, yeah, especially on a video game podcast. Yes, so yeah. that's weird. What else we got? Is are that we it? Recording is right it? now? Or? Yeah. What do you mean we're recording? What do you think this show does? The mic is always on. Hey, you know what's weird? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah? And let's chat about one of the weirdest peripherals I've ever seen in gaming. Okay. Two two words for you. Okay. Trans vibrator. (laughs) Whoa. Those are two words. Two words that belong to perhaps the weirdest peripheral to ever be seen in mainstream gaming. Uh, now, when you say mainstream, what are you talking about? I'm talking about I never Res one of these for oh. PlayStation 2. I did not own that that uh, that controller me- interface mechanism. Yeah, it was yeah, it more or less controlled you, I believe. But okay. uh, the tra- the uh, the trans vibrator was a little doohickey that you'd hook into your PlayStation via the USB port. Okay, and it would interact with Res the game. Sure. And it was also compatible with Space Channel 5 hmm. and maybe a couple other games in Japan. But those are the only two games I know of. But I, I think it's absolutely bizarre and weird that such an item exists. Definitely. What does it do exactly? Vibrates. And that's it? That's pretty much it, yes. And does it have a, like a light coming out of it? or is it like It's, it's not a controller, no, is it? It's, it's, it's not like, like the PlayStation egg. 3's new Hitachi Magic Wand. No, it's nothing like that. Is it shaped like an egg? It is, uh, it's shaped like a box in a pouch. We have to move on. <laughs> is it a laser rock show then, basically? Yeah, it's kind of like the rock band stage kit without the lights and fog. <laughs> just a vibration. <laughs> yeah, just a vibration. I don't remember my rock band stage kit vibrating. Uh, uh, you know what? You weren't standing close <laughs> enough to it. I guess. Wow, that is kind of bizarre. That sort of blows out my exercise bike peripheral for the Super Nintendo. Let's talk about weird games. One that I um, I loathe, in fact. Okay. Journey. <laughs> for the Atari 2600. I just uh, brought that yeah. game up, didn't I? I just spoke about that with someone. Way back when, I remember, I forget who you talked to. I think it was Nolan Bushnell. You explained to him that uh, that ruined 
a Christmas for me. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily it. true because I wasn't sure what I was looking at when I unwrapped that, but it definitely did ruin my Christmas once I started playing this very bizarre game. Yes. I mean, I've already went into it in the past, but basically you're a guy and there's stuff falling. There's hearts with feet and uh, I always thought they were salesmen for some reason, guys with hats, just faces with hats and they would come down at you and I, I don't really know what you're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a game that's not worth playing. Right, right. Any thoughts on Journey these? Well, I mean, there's an interesting kind of little backstory to it. You know, in the arcade game, where, yes. uh, you know, it was like the actual pictures of Mr. Sandwich or whoever the singer in Journey is. <laughs> and, um... Hey, now take it easy. Steve Perry's mustache is awesome when he's by that dumpster. <laughs> I don't okay. remember it, but go ahead. Well, you know, I'm not kind of caught up on the uh, Journey lore. But anyway, <laughs> the the photos of these guys, you know, who are in the game... Uh-huh. The technology for that was created by Ralph Baer because mm. he wanted to be able to take... He, the way he did it first was he was going to have it put onto every arcade system in America and the world, I'm sure, that it was going to be a photograph thing where when you got a high score, it took your photograph. Wow. I and see. it was going to be your face next to your score. And they beta tested it in an arcade one weekend. And basically, it's... Uh, what happened was some guy got a high score and jumped up on the stool and got his thing out and took a photo of that. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, this show is going in the potty, as they say. As the That's kids rad. That's awesome. <laughs> that was the end of that. Never heard that story. Wow. I We yeah. got to get Ralph Bear back on. Take a look at this joystick. <laughs> yeah, high score. Wow. <laughs> so you had Journey uh, for the Atari. Weird and sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Those are two good uh, descriptors. Okay, and now uh, my last two revolve around the same company. It's about uh, weirdness in video game history, and the weirdness I'm talking about in video game history involves Nintendo and how they kind of shy away from their history as an arcade company hmm. before the home console. Games like Sheriff and Radar Scope. Right completely brushed under the rug like they never existed. I mean, I can understand Nintendo keeping in the same light as the rest of this conversation has been going, how Nintendo's wanted to keep their chain of love hotels back in the 60s under the rug. But some of their classic arcade games are actually pretty cool. I mean, we've seen Sheriff in, uh, what was it, the first WarioWare game. That was unlockable. It's where the frogs have the, um, the sombreros, and they hop out, and then you're Wario as the sheriff, and you shoot them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And and they've but, also they've also put it in with their original gimmick that they made with Sega of the the light gun cowboy that falls over when you shoot him, which I which I owned. Yes, they did do nods to these old games. I mean, uh, back in the seventies, that uh, there was um, speaking of light guns, uh, laser ranges, which were that. It was just a bunch of those light gun games in a room. Don't jump ahead. Don't go oh, in so, my, don't cut into my territory. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But what I'm saying is there's a whole library of games and with downloadable fun at home, you think that Nintendo would be trying to milk dollars from us making some of these games available. I, you know, I understand Radar Scope isn't that good, but um, you know, there's a lot of interesting games in that library. Sure. And it's just weird that they just don't want to acknowledge it. And as far as the Game Boy is concerned, Going into my next topic, it seems that the Game Boy has always been more of the uh, more on the edge or on the fringe of Nintendo with some of the things they 
they do. And the weirdness I'm talking about specifically for this discussion is Gunpoi Yokoi's vision of Mario. Because Gunpoi Yokoi's vision of Mario is a lot different than the Miyamoto Mario. I mean, Mario Land, you were in a plane, you were mm-hmm. in a sub. And yeah. while it was broken at times, it's a very interesting game. Like, all the things you did in that game. Sure. You stepped on flies a lot. He stepped on flies like the old school uh, Mario Bros. game. Yep. And, um, you know, Gunpoyoko is also associated with the original Metroid. And if you think about Nintendo and their focus of making everything accessible to the player and keeping things simple, there is nothing accessible or simple about that original Metroid game. Right, right. You're thrown into and it. Just, it, it was very interesting to see what he did in his tenure with Nintendo, because what he did was very different than what a lot of the other Nintendo culture was doing at the same time. Those are my picks for th- weirdness in gaming. When when you were talking about the, the Game Boy, I, I thought you were going to bring up, of course, the Game Boy Camera, which isn't that really that bad a Game Boy Camera. Of course, we use that on our Wigtendo Guest Boy. That was one of the things, of course, developed by Ritim, the Rosenstein's Information Technologies and Enriched Elbow Macaroni uh, yes. gimmicks on our new social media site. But that was a suggestion by our own Kyle Von Kubik. I just had to put that out there. But I, not only did they make the camera, I think the more bizarre thing is, of course, how you get the pictures off the camera, which was the Game Boy printer that would attach to your little Game Boy that you carried around, and you'd take along this cash register printer to print out all your friends' <laughs> yes. Photos, you know, it goes ding, and then you tear the strip off and give it to them. What was even weirder was the the other games that would support it randomly. Like, mm. when they did the Zelda DX, right. there was a whole bunch of things you could do with the Game Boy Camera. Who had it? <laughs> and and then, then when Pokemon got- games, I think, as well. With Snap, I think you could do some things, like bring your memory card to the video store and print them out on the... I don't know. I, I, I All I remember is there was very strange moments where... The Game Boy camera was long dead, and yet there was still a couple games coming down that supported mm-hmm. that unit, much like the e-reader. Oh, right, right, the e-reader for the Game Boy Advance. I love that thing. I love to, to be able to do my uh, classic old Game Boy games and my classic timeout games, time and watch galleries and things like that, yeah, and just up. just uh, swipe those through baseball, the original baseball. You just swipe it through, and then you'd, you'd be playing a game on your Game Boy Advance. And I I really loved I love e reader type of things I was I was always a fan of that I even had the one of the only Tiger handheld games I owned was an e reader version of a Power Rangers game of all things a Power Rangers fighting game that you could you can't s- avoid those Power Rangers I cannot games. I don't they they keep drawing me in with these gimmicks pinball pinball and now, yeah. yeah and now uh, you know reading soup labels to try to build up my megazord and stuff yeah so i've always fallen for those e-readers and thanks for bringing up i sort of forgot about that now we know about the more common things like i mentioned the exercise bike peripheral you used to be able to get now nintendo didn't sell these directly but it was like third parties would sell these exercise bikes that you'd that would hook up to your super nintendo and you'd watch a simulated version of a park that you're supposed to be riding this bike through uh, we see this a lot now in, of course, the Wii Fit series. You're doing this, except you're just running in your room. You don't have a big peripheral. Right. But we also had the Miracle Keyboard that came out, not only for PCs, but it also came out for your Super Nintendo as well. And that was one of the things that We Talk Games donated to the International Video Game Museum. See you in August. Yes, we'll be there. 
so that was kind of weird. Here's Mario, and they, they even integrated Mario into this cartridge. Mario would teach you type, uh, would teach you not only typing on your home system when that happened. Mario teaches typing, but Mario would teach you how to play the keyboard on this Miracle keyboard. So you had a fully functional MIDI keyboard that has some some built-in crappy sounds. They sounded almost as good as the old organs you would get as a child that had a fan <laughs> inside of them to make you know to push air through to make notes. It was it, the sound was almost as good as that, except it was trying to emulate a guitar and a piccolo and things like this. Uh, but Mario would teach you how to play the piano. He would teach you about chords, and he'd run along. You try to get your timing right by making him jump at the right time by pressing the correct keys and things like this. And of course, U Force and all those other crappy yeah, things, activators. You know, we've we've talked about that before, and we'll probably talk about them again. Uh, those are kind of easy things to go to. And I know in the past about crappy games, I've spoken about Bronchi the Bronchitis Brachiosaurus for the <laughs> Super Nintendo. It's it's all about asthmatic health care and taking care of your asthma. But I failed to mention Captain Novalin. Captain oh. Novalin from Novo yes. Nordisk. Novo <laughs> Nordisk was an insulin manufacturer from like the Netherlands or something. Yeah. And Captain Novelin would fight his arch nemesis Blubberman while trying to manage his own diabetes. See, the, these guys were just way ahead of the curve because <laughs> at the time, childhood obesity was like way on the dip. Now, they'd be pulling some especially on the week. We need this for the virtual console. Because you're trying to fight Blubberman while you're trying to also monitor your own glucose level. (laughs) You don't want it to drop too low. You don't want it to get too high. Yeah, no, you don't. And the fact that it's it's brought out by uh, one of the leading manufacturers of, or what they were trying to be, one of the leading manufacturers of insulin, it's just just completely bizarre. It's even more disingenuous than Pepsi Man. It is. Yeah, I know. Except that this can actually save your life. So I don't know. Um, Hey, Pepsi Man could save your life, too. He could. It's true. He really could. He really could. Uh, And and, uh, honest to God, he's probably saved my life on more than one occasion. He'd fight for you like a viper. (laughs) Now let's talk about weird systems. I haven't even talked about weird peripherals. I I don't think I might not even talk about weird peripherals. I don't know where I'm going with this. But We can go back to the trans vibrator if you'd like. We can because I'm eBaying as we speak. I'm looking this up. But weird systems definitely have to be the Bandai Pladia. This is a system that I owned. This was every otaku's dream station because it looks like it looks like one step above a child's VTech first computer. I mean, uh-huh. it was like in uh, this crazy green and and purple type of color scheme, purple and aqua and yellow, and it, and it was very rectangular. And it played mostly Dragon Ball and other full motion videos. It was just sort of like full motion videos of animes where you will do your Dragon's Lair type of directional choices or press one of the two button choices. What's really neat about this was that it only had a single controller, but guess what? It was a wireless controller, and it sat right in the middle of the system. The system had a notch in the front of it where this controller would sit in, and although it wasn't Bluetooth or anything like that back then, it was it was infrared, but just the fact that it came with one wireless controller that was essentially just a remote control, really. I mean, it, yeah, it was, it was turned sideways and, and had a directional pad on it. 
Oh, and, and also the four-way directional controller was made out of colored buttons as well. So that was really weird. just think that that's really neat that it was sort of like a more casual gaming system before the Wii came out. What time did this come out at then? And I was around uh, 4.30 Japan Standard Time on October 23rd, 1994. This was only an 8-bit system. So the fact that it was doing these full motion... Now, the full motion video, once again, going back then, was mo- you know in a postage stamp. But that's really what it was. It was it was mostly just animes. You press a direction and you got to play your favorite animes. Uh, Ultraman came out. Very simplistic games. In fact, a lot of, uh, you know, it was probably it was probably for kids. Because yeah, it totally. I mean, it looks like you had Hello uh, Kitty. My first video game <laughs> yeah. system. You had yeah. Hello Kitty. You had uh, a lot of things. But the thing that appealed to me, of course, was the fact that Ultraman through the wazoo was on there now i didn't know ultraman teaches the number system was released for this or else maybe i wouldn't have bought it but that's a system i no longer own but that was that was kind of a weirdo now you know trip hawkins was on our show for the start of uh, for the 12th episode the two two months ago many people feel that the 3do was unsuccessful many people feel that the virtual boy was a flop but I, I don't. I think that they all had very, very strong things for them. They all were very innovative. Uh, they were all forward-thinking. There's a lot of games on there that I still haven't played on newer systems that I've played on those systems. But I think that I can think of no other system that failed so unfortunately as one of my favorite systems of all time, the NEC Super Graphics. Now, was it the fact that they spelled graphics, G-R-A-F, capital X? I don't think so, but maybe. Definitely. Um, <laughs> this was a very powerful system. You had 482 on-screen colors. You had 128 simultaneous sprites that could be on screen. Plus, you could play all the PC Engine Hue cards. And with a special CD-ROM attachment, which I owned for some reason, even though I didn't own a core system or any other PC Engine CD-ROM system, uh, you could play your PC Engine CDs. The failure in this system was the fact that they only released five Super Hue card titles for its library. And these these games, in my opinion, are some of the best games for the PC Engine, or, or the Super Graphics. Battle Ace was sort of a Sega GeForce style of game. It was first person flying with choppy sprites coming at you and things like this. But it had some really, really neat elements to it. One one area you played upside down and was very fantasy based. 1941 Counter-Attack came out for it. Ghouls and Ghosts. Aldenese, which is still one of my favorite shooters. And you also had Grand Zord. Grand Zord is one of my favorite action platformer games of all time where you could be different forms of, uh, of a certain robot. Also, two other games that did come out for the system were Darius Alpha and Darius Plus. Now, those games you could play on your regular PC Engine in the Hue card slot, but if you put them in your Super Graphics, it would have tighter graphics, zero flicker. You go fight the giant fish bosses at the end, you could fly right through them while he's blowing up and everything, and there would be zero lines of flicker happening. Nice. Was it a plan to only bring out such little software, or was it like, did not many people buy it? Or Exactly, yeah. The sell-through rate was just was just abysmal, so unfortunately it didn't, didn't go too well for the super graphic launch. And, and from there on, NEC really 
didn't sell very many systems as a console builder. NEC sort of had a bow out when they. The next thing that they released was PC? the PC, PCFX, yes. Yep. And the PCFX, what they thought was, you know, here comes the PlayStation, here comes the Saturn. They're trying to move polygons along. I don't think the home console has enough power to really move along, move around polygons convincingly enough. So what they spent their R and D and their time trying to do, and this is Hudson and NEC as well, what they spent their time trying to do was develop an engine that could play back jpegs not mpegs jpegs incredibly fast so what they had in mind for the future was that they would render these 3d games on a silicon graphics workstation something that no one could afford you know several thirty thousand dollar workstations they'd render the 3d game in that and then at home you'd play it back as like a movie as a flip book, but yeah. it would do it so convincingly that you would think that we were actually playing the 3D game, which, of course, that never saw fruition as well, but very, very forward thinking. In fact, the PC Engine had such a futuristic, bizarre, pseudo futuristic case for this super graphics. This case, it's one of the most difficult systems to keep clean. Thankfully, it's gray. Uh, but it has, like, all these fake insert plastic molded nuts and bolt rivet futuristic detailing and all these lines and all these different size ribbings and more corners than you could count on any other game console. It's it's very futuristic looking, this super graphics system. It's almost impossible to keep clean unless you blow it with, with a dust gun every day and keep it in a hermetically sealed chamber. I think the Super Graphics just came a little bit too late. They were dominating the market in Japan at the time. They were beating Sega. They were beating the Genesis. They were even beating the Super Nintendo. But slowly over time, as more developers got more comfortable with developing the games for the Super Nintendo, then the popularity of the NEC PC Engine you know, weaned, and they tried to bring out this, this Super Graphics, which, in my opinion, was uh, just as powerful as the Super Nintendo and I would love to have seen this come out as an add-on chip. Because it was really only like two or three piggyback chips, I think, onto the original PC Engine. If they would have included this chip in a Duo, I think the Duo would have seen a lot more success in the United States. But we'll never know. Now, you might not know this, but 1987 was a big year for video game-like shooting gimmicks. 1987, that's going back quite quite a spell. And... 1987 also had the only other five-game system that came out besides this Super Graphics. There was another system that only had five games released for, and that came out in 1987. The Action Max was the first real action game system. That's what it was touted as. All right. It was a light gun, and you had a TV sensor you put on your television, and you would attach to your screen via a suction cup. It would go right in the lower corner. And the games were on VHS tapes. Oh, the best. Yes, VCR sold separately, everyone. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> but What, do you want everything? <laughs> I actually own, I think I own at least four of the five games, and I own the Action Max system. And it would be like, you know, an airplane. You're in an airplane. Or, did it work? Or you're, it, it, it did count your score. <laughs> you know, that's what would happen. No. Like, you'd shoot at the screen. 
and the the red suction cup thing, I, something lit up, and it would it would keep a tally on on the little home unit. All that would happen was, and this was from Worlds of Wonder. So there you go. You, you know that this is going to be good. A Worlds winning of Wonder. company. Yes, <laughs> Teddy Ruxpin and this. I think. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm not sure. Could if you were... shoot Teddy Ruxpin <laughs> with a gun? That would be amazing because he because oh, okay. you could get extra cartridges that stick up his butt that he would tell a story when you shot him or something. Um, He's from the grassy knoll. Yes. Oh, the, <laughs> I mean the 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 option the. Now, by five games, you you just mean five VHS tapes. Five VHS tapes came out. Yes. In Can I just ask? Actually, uh, I take these tapes. Okay, they all, there was only certain sections that would play while uh, you were playing a certain section of the game, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You you could, so, like, could you always win by just fast forwarding to the windscreen? Oh no 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 it it. The, the tape had nothing to do with your score or anything. The score was kept on a little box that was attached to the to the gun. And the worst the, the is your mom just... would tape Oprah over the tapes, and then you just didn't have a game system anymore. Yeah, there was a couple times where I'm you know I'm fighting cops and robbers, and all of a sudden it's Abe Vigoda and Fish. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this thing just played the tapes. It didn't do anything. John's thinking it skipped or something. No, so, no, no. It no, just nothing played the tape straight. Yeah, nothing changed on screen. He just kept like, watching the tape. Yeah, Ninety <laughs> minutes of one thing. Basically. Just John, hold your remote like a gun and point it at the TV while it's playing, and go pew pew. It's pretty much <laughs> the same thing. Exactly, except that the Action Max system itself, which was a little gray console that had like a, a score. Uh, Keep uh, an LED uh, number on it. It's sort of like a watch, sort of like an LED alarm clock that would count when you got it right. Oh, and by the way, in case you didn't want to disturb your mom and pa, it came with a set of crappy headphones as well. Uh, yeah. Such games as 38 Ambush Alley, Blue Thunder, Hydro Sub 2021, The Rescue of Pops Ghostly, Sonic Fury, and Fright Night. Fright Night was uh, not released. Oh, uh, it wasn't unreleased. That's right. Oh, yeah. thanks for thanks for uh, enjoying Wikipedia with me, Kyle. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's funny because I remember uh, getting one of these, not not the um, Action Max, but some other piece of crap like it, mm-hmm. where it was a racing game, and uh, I felt real. Oh, I, I remember being young and feeling bad because I, I believe like an aunt or it was an extended family member got it for me, mm-hmm. thinking that it was a game system, and they were pretty pleased with themselves. Right, and then <laughs> they saw me play it and realized what exactly it was. And I remember getting an Atari 2600 shortly after that. Where, like, they, they said, okay, because they realized all it was was a VHS tape and a steering wheel, and you're just pretending to drive. Gotcha. And they took the tape out, they put it back in the box, it went away. And then I think a couple weeks later, I got an Atari. Very good, very good. Uh, now, that was not the only shooting type of thing to come out around this time. We also had the Brave Star toy line, which featured infrared firing dolls that would fire... Uh, fire at a receiving doll's backpack. It's not really a video game, but it was utilizing this shooter technology, and you were this brave. It had a cartoon that came out as well. But one thing that did come out right around the same time, which this sort of led to both of these failing, was a cartoon that you would watch on television called Captain Power and the Soldier of Fortune. 
Now, Captain Power and a Soldier of Fortune, you would watch on television on Saturday mornings. It was a live-action Power Ranger slash RoboCop type of Space Marine show. Again with the Power Rangers. Yes. You loved it, then, I think. <laughs> I get, uh, hey, man, I had to go out and buy my XT7 spaceship power jet ranger flyer thing thing that went along with it it was this live action power ranger type of thing and but the show would feature a short segment on each show that you could interact with and you take this spaceship which actually it like had a trigger on it and and it had a sensor and would act like a light gun and you get one point for a hit and you'd lose one point if you didn't get a hit and, and the the digital clock on this one was on the spaceship and mattel brought this out and then when you when you reach zero it would eject captain power from the uh, from his flight control seat so that's pretty cool though you know you know it, it it was pretty cool and i remember these things coming out i was like wow this is you don't even have to play games anymore they play for you it's the future. Yeah. Now, you know what keep it reminds mind, me you know, of that's like a, also pretty weird? What's that? The uh, Nintendo satellite system for the Super Nintendo, which never came out here. But it's a tell you. Yeah, didn't that have some sort of interaction between the cartoons and the shows? Uh, between uh, know, the, it, the show and the, the game? It broadcasts games, basically. That's what I know. I mean, like, you know, like the original Zelda was remade to look like Super Nintendo Zelda Link to the Past. And you'd play it, but it was broadcasted. So I don't know. Yeah, see, I, I I remember tuning in on my special antenna, uh, <laughs> one of those games, and it was it was Mario USA, which of course is Mario our Mario Two over there. Okay, and um, occasionally while you're playing the game, a box of Mauser would pop up on the top of the screen. He'd be talking, and then Mario would come up, and he'd be talking. And it was my understanding that those boxes would pop up to be in correlation with the cartoon. So when they were talking on the television, they were also talking on the game or something strange like that. I, I could be misunderstanding what I was looking at, but that's what I believed it to be. Could be. Oh, and before we wrap it up, there was one more thing that I think that we've all forgotten. I think that's one of these amazing things is that many people probably remember Brave Star, but they probably forgot oh, about yeah. it. A lot of people heard of you know Action Max. They forgot about it. A lot of the things that you brought up, Kyle, I, I uh, had forgotten about and a lot of things that you brought up, John, I've never heard of, uh, but that's why, that's why you're on. But there was one gimmick that had the whole music industry abuzz, and it was very highly touted when the CD peripherals came out for both the TurboGrafx and for the Sega Genesis, Mega Drive, Sega CD, and Mega CD, respectively. Anyone care to take a guess at what that technology was? See, you've already forgotten! The Power Music Factory? I'll, I'll, yes. I'll give you a little hint. Jimi Hendrix smash hits. Bonnie Raitt. Mozart, the magical flute. Uh, Donna Summer, another place, another time. Only for a limited time. That was I remember I, I missed out on that one being available in this format. Little Feet. I even bought that because of this thing. And there was a Talking Heads. Chris Isaac. Silvertone came out. Come on, guys. You had to own these. You had to play them in, those, in your Sega CDs. Eight tracks. I don't know. Super karaoke. I don't know. Well, you're very close. CD plus G. CD plus G. Was oh, a, how can I forget? Was a gimmick. Now, I mean, there were close to a hundred titles that came out, and, and from all different types of of weird people. I think the best implementation of it really was on like the the Beethovens and the the more classical music because you could have the liner notes going on screen as you listen to the music. 
But I was crazy about this technology. When Naked came out by Talking Heads, I had to have that. I even owned both Bonnie Raitt albums, uh, Green Light and Nine Lives. Lou Reed, New York, was in CD Plus G. And it was a technology that would do, as you said, John, we're more used to seeing this implemented in karaoke systems where maybe you see a title screen come up with a parrot singing on it or a picture of a park, and then it does the rest just for the words of the song as you read along with it but cd plus g if you have smash hits it would show you know crazy far out pixelated graphics of Jimi hendrix and far out things even little feet i mean i'm not really in a little feet and this was when they started experimenting more with a country music sound i had that and i would watch that I did not know that Total Devo came out in CD Plus G. Now I have to try to find a version of it that it, that is CD Plus G. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun to watch this artwork unravel on your television screen along with the music. But you know, then uh, then then they came out with the Laserdisc singles, which you would get a. They were called CD Plus. It, it would, this was also made it very confusing. They were called like CD Plus V, CD CD. V's or CD plus V and that would give you several tracks of music and then if you had a laser disc player and you put this gold disc into your laser disc player you would have one video on there like David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes was one that comes to mind also ABC Pop Goes the World I remember owning that so there was a lot of really neat things that the music industry tried to get into the more on-screen graphic video department before DVDs became available and, and inexpensive. So, All right, gang. Hey, thanks for being part of this weird and wacky council review show that strayed into toys and music. Trans vibrator. <laughs> I'm going to go try mine now. See ya. Bye. Yeah. Woohoo! What show? That was stacked! What do you got there, TT? I just thought I'd give this one game a try. I found it in the Xbox Arcade. It's called uh, something HD. Are, are you sitting on my one Xbox? Just controller? taking some time out to relax and play a game. Oh. <sighs> well. Well, now. Uh, uh, I, I know I have to. We have to figure out who's going to be on next month's show. I have to put this uh, WOG system back on again. I guess I hook these electrodes right up to my temple here. Very good. Let's uh, go ahead and uh, this is supposed to predict what's going to be good for us next month as well. What's on my mind? I don't know. Who really knows how these things work? All right, give it the juice. I just uh, flip this switch here. Okay. prepared for at that time wow this is amazing our special guest on next month's show will be 30 year veteran of taito yuki haru sambe sambe san will be joining us on the next episode of we talk games be sure to tune in for kyle von kubik Jaden, kirby ouch tupayar eric alex johnny capcom jasonia tt schmutkins Sinky the Game Master, and our special guest to Brothers Fathergill, I'm Wiggly, 
Good gaming to you. Oh!